Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes Rap where fake bitches don't make it back. Uh-huh. Wrestling Geeks Alliance is on right now. You guys enjoy it. Here's your host, Dean Elves. Thank you, Ghost of Macho Man Randy Savage. Love the Nas lyrics or intro, whatever that's considered in hip hop. Anyways, we are back. 2021 is here, or as I'd like to say, I think at this point, um, December, um, you know, what would it be? Uh, the 10th. Or the, the the thirty no 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 the fortieth yeah 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 so it's it's December fortieth twenty twenty so we can excuse this last week but we're not going to be here to talk about pompous idiots and causing a bunch of stupid shit that completely goes against our U.S. Um, you know just everything but we're here to get your mind off of that type of stuff because here on Wrestling Geeks Alliance we give you a dose of us reviewing stuff that happened in the last week or pay per views coming up. And give you guys some news, a little bit of our opinions on says said news items. So if you're a new listener, uh, appreciate you guys checking us out. We usually record this every Saturday. Sometimes there's two shows if we got too much stuff, which in hindsight we might have wanted to do that. But usually it's one big show. So just like the big show show or the big show show or whatever the fuck, you know, Cody's got one, big show's got one on Netflix. Um you know, just if if it's if it's a little bit long, you know, just pause it and come back to it. And I know a lot of people, you know, you work maybe like me within a warehouse or something. So maybe you need something to listen to. Either way, we'll provide you with great content. But uh, I couldn't do this by myself. I have a wonderful co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. Is it the 40th of December 2020? I'm trying to remember. Is, is that correct? That's right. You've got the date. You've nailed the date. There's no other days to wait for. Today is the day. And also, uh, by like not being in office, you're not being a pompous asshole. Do you mean Vince? And like the as far as party goes, do you mean retribution? <laughs> yeah. I actually I was talking about one of Vince's opponents um, for a hair match along. T- I, I don't know. It's 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 he's a he's a Hall of Famer, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it fucked up he's in the Hall of Fame, but Vince isn't? I know that Vince won't put himself in his own Hall of Fame, but, I mean, in retrospect, I guess he's the bigger heel overall, but unst. I, I think it's pretty fucked up, but, like, can you be the first person to be removed from the Hall of Fame? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, if it's all of the social media items, I guess you can do that, too. I don't think Vince is going to do that since his wife was part of his cabinet, but, you know, I get what you're saying. I get was- what you're saying. Wouldn't she, like, unceremoniously fired? And also, like, while we're removing people, they're out as well. Alright, moving forward. (laughs) How was your week, bud? It was... I'm not going to pretend it was lovely and wonderful. It was the first week coming back from a week and a half vacation. But uh, we were a bit slow, which is uh, good and bad. You know, it's, it's nice to come back, not have so much thrown the fuck at you. But at the same time, you know, being a manager, then I got to find shit to do and things goes by way slower. 
but you know, I got through the work week. I have had a pretty good, uh, good week it, it, it itself, and um, you know, doing a podcast on a Saturday, going to band practice right afterwards, and probably not doing absolutely shit tomorrow. So, good stuff. Yeah, that sounds sounds pretty awesome. My week was very much the same, so I am down to talk some wrestling. I watched a lot of wrestling this week. A lot. Me too. Me too. It's a lot out there. So let's actually get into that. Got a lot to break down, guys. We're going to go over, you know, all the essentials, uh, highlights on Wrestle Kingdom. We'll be going over the Harper Kill pay-per-view for Impact tonight and our predictions for that. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Monday Night Raw, not really go over it, but um, I just have a little bit of a rant. So me and Chris will go back and forth. And, of course, our awesome, uh, you know, reviews of the Wednesday Night Wars and SmackDown last night from when we're recording. So... Uh, let's, let's start off. I, I just think that this is probably the most exciting thing. I look forward to this every year. Um, I mean, it's one of those events. I would say it probably tops most, but like, you know, when, when the, 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 at least the rumble and WrestleMania really excite me, um, for WWE. And I would even see triple mania. I kind of get excited when it's going to happen because of all the ridiculousness, but we had wrestle kingdom. This last weekend, Wrestle Kingdom 15, and it was split in two nights. It was at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, Japan's going, I, I'm kind of worried going forward because of the shutdown that's in place now with Japan again because of uh, COVID outbreak numbers. I hope they uh, recover that, but pretty much everything shut down again. So we might be slowed down as far as the Japanese side of things. But regardless, two nights and the big question going into it, can Kota Ibushi get through so much adversity, beat Tetsuya Naito on night one to win both the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, and then go on to beat Jay White, who beat him for the G1 briefcase uh, on the second night. And uh, just basically that journey of that character. And now there were some better matches, I would say. I mean, I don't know. Both those Coda matches were amazing. But the card, with a, a good majority, I would say, were fantastic matches like normal. The lower amount of people in the crowd was still great. They weren't. They were asking people to kind of, like, try to lower their voice and not cheer as much and just try to, like, stick to clapping. And since they're respectful in fucking Japan, that's exactly what they did. Um, but it was still a great show, still great crowd response. And, uh, you know, it looked a bit normal, Chris, I would say, for Wrestle Kingdom. You know, it definitely lacked some of the audience. But Japan has a way of being a bit more respectful, I would say, and also reactionary, unlike the American fans who want to get their shit over um, to some extent. But uh, what did you think about Wrestle Kingdom, some of the matches before we go into it, and then just the overall storyline of Kotobushi becoming the god, becoming Goku with the New Japan Wrestling. If he is Goku, does that make Naito uh, now Krillin? Well, we can give him, like, we can make Naito, uh, you know, uh, Vegeta. You know, he's a little more tougher than Krillin. God. I don't know after this year, are we sure he's tougher than Krillin? <laughs> uh, well, well, we'll get to that because I have some, some stuff to say about uh, some of the booking decisions and giving a big, like, go, go. I think Mike C- Supervisi, uh needs to go in, a, I don't know, get a diaper and cry a lot in the corner and shit like that. He kind of went off on Brian Alvarez because Brian was pointing out. And you know that I don't always agree with Brian on the Wrestling Observer. But <laughs> Brian was just kind of 
calling out some stuff. And I loved this pay-per-view. But this year, some of the booking, I would say, if you're going to be fair across the board, were kind of questionable in New Japan. Now, yes, they were dealing with the pandemic, but the whole Naito giving it to Evil, giving it back to Naito thing, and Evil's not even the like lead of the Bullet Club, so it's kind of weird itself. Or, or taking away the briefcase to Kotobushi to add more adversity that you really didn't need with Jay White. I mean, they could have done that no matter what, I think. So how dare Brian say that on air because Mike just had a fucking conniption and was crying like a little baby. But I don't like Mike, so I, I can say that completely, and I don't really – I'm not worried about him listening to this. I, I'm sure he has other things that he's doing than listening to other wrestling podcasts. But, uh, yeah, I, I is it fair to say that this year, and it might be because of COVID, I love Gato, but I think that some of the booking decisions were a bit questionable. And I think it's fair to question the booking on some of that. I would definitely say so if, you're, if we're looking at the year as a whole. I like both nights of Wrestle Kingdom. I thought it was a very good show. It's crazy to see they had 12, like 12,000 people in the building for night one. Um, obviously, that's is going to change now, especially with like Jay White going home and, and the fact that they're bringing back up, hey, we might have to take a break in general after the, their New Year's Eve show. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit of weird booking. In general, I, I would say, like with, with Gato and and kind of re- hitting the reset button on Naito, having him drop the title, pick it back up, only to drop it again. I think the end goal was always to get it back on Abushi here. We kind of did that with our predictions and talked about what we thought were coming out of this. I mean, Abushi is going to be their guy, right? So, as far as him winning, I didn't have a problem with, but it was a weird. I mean, it's just a weird year in general, and New Japan missed way way more dates than like a wwe or an AEW, just because of the way japan is operating currently but yeah i had no problem with the show i thought it was pretty good absolutely the show itself was awesome and i will personally say um i think the first night had two longer matches that really made the card and those are the two main events and the second night had about four that were a little bit shorter, but all of them still amazing uh, wrestling matches. Well, I guess the last one wasn't really a short one, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, I just thought that Okada and uh, Osprey just killed it, and I thought that Naito and, and Kotobushi killed it. I also loved um, Takahashi and El Fantasmo. That was a great one also on number one, and the tag match too, but... Those two at the end really did it for me. And then, I mean, you got to talk about Shingo Takagi and friggin' Jeff Cobb. You got to talk about the other IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship with Ishimori and Takahashi. You got to talk about the the uh, last two matches. I just thought that there were certain highlights for sure within Wrestle Kingdom, but I was uh, very, very pleasantly uh, not surprised, but just happy. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. Yeah, and, and you know what? We didn't just slammed with uh, tag team matches uh, or like weird three-way matches between night one and night two. I liked the Battle Royal, the way they opened the show. I thought that was pretty hot. And uh, I, I mean, the Okada match versus Will Ospreay, I, I thought was incredible, which we'll get into a little bit more later. And I liked both of the Ibushi matches. I thought they were both really, really good. It's solid. I don't want to say it's the best Wrestle Kingdom I've ever seen or anything, but it was a very, very good show. Probably their best well, it's can't say of the year because technically it's the new. Well, it's their best show of the year, Dane, since it's the <laughs> only. Um, 
I would go back to last year as well. I thought it was a very, very good show with some strong choices because uh, Abushi, I do believe, is going to be their guy. Like, like you said, we'll get in more into that. But um, like even the tag matches with Gorilla Destiny, I really enjoyed. There wasn't anything on the show that just stood out to me as sucking. Um, where in the past, a lot of it seemed like a lot of the matches, especially in the opening card, were very much filler. Yep. No, I, I completely agree with you. And, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't as into the, uh, whatchamacallit, the King of Pro Wrestling stuff, but it was fine. You know, like I, like you said, it was better than having, and no offense, like, I love seeing Legends, and we'll get back, we'll get to Monday Night Raw with that, too. But sometimes in New Japan, like you said, they kind of overdo it. And sometimes, like, some of the Legends that they decided to pick, like, if anyone remembers Wrestle Kingdom 10, which is one of my favorites. I think that and 11 probably are two of my favorites. Uh, their battle royal was awesome because it had like Fujinami came out and um, uh, Fujiara, you know, just a bunch of great people, uh, great Kabuki. Uh, the only problem was that they were all barely could move. Um, and sometimes they kind of stick to that and they'll put them with some legends that are a bit younger. One of them that was actually on here with Kojima. Uh, which I thought was actually a pretty good impromptu match with Kenta. Um, but yeah, it's usually flooded with that uh, as opposed to really, uh, you know, just kind of getting into some craziness. It's like slow at first, and I think you should jump it off. And that's one thing I will give to WWE with WrestleMania. They usually have their first match is one of the strongest matches a lot of the times on the card to get you amped up. So I appreciated that they kind of, like you said, went right into it. So, uh, you, you ready to go over this pay-per-view card? Yeah, let's get into it. It's going to be a busy day. There was a lot of good stuff on the show. Well, actually, maybe it'll be uh, less than us going overall. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, no shit. Oh, God. At least we'll actually enjoy talking about it. Um, all right. So, like, yeah, let's go over the, the first match. That was the, uh, you know, the opening match uh, with the Battle Royal, uh, the 21-man Japan Rambo uh you know, to determine the new uh, provision, uh, King of Pro Wrestling 2021 trophy for night two. Uh, basically, when it got down to the last four people, those are the last four people to be in the second night to go after this trophy. And, uh, I mean, it was it was a battle royal. You know, we kind of say that a lot of times. Some good, some, some bad, um, you know. But it ended up being at the end of it. And I like how they did this. Bushi was, was kind of smart. Now I'm glad they didn't do the normal trope of all of a sudden he comes back in the ring and then exposes by taking out a person to claim it. He was just outside being an asshole and taking out fucking people, pulling them out of the ring, beating them up. And then, you know, just staying there. So he couldn't get off or couldn't get outside the top of the ropes, but you would have two bullet club members, uh, bad luck folly. That was just fucking people up. And Chase Owens, who was there from pretty much the start, who don't really get along uh, in Bullet Club. That's kind of the storyline they projected. Or Kevin Kelly was filling me in on that. I, I, I didn't realize that there was a little bit of a dissension between the two of them. And uh, Turiano, who we'll get into the second night, uh, ended up coming in uh, the last in the tournament, making his way to the ring. And people were eliminated so that when he got there, they had Bushiardi, they had Bad Luck Folly, they had Chase Owens, so he automatically advanced uh, before even having to hit the ring. So, you know, people have wondered how 
something like that could play out for a Royal Rumble. And I don't know if I really wanted to see that for a Rumble, but it was fun to see it play out like this with a character, I would say, you know, like Toriano. Uh, what do you have to say overall about the Battle Royal itself? I thought it was a very fun opener. I think everyone worked really hard in the match itself. I really liked the Yano spot where he basically advances without ever stepping into the ring. Because uh, that's, I mean, that's spot on for Yano, right? It's going to be yep. uh, very exciting to see where they go. I mean, there was some good, I liked Rocky Romero in this match. I thought Tiger Mask looked good. Bushi looked good. Um, I was very disappointed Minoru Suzuki didn't fuck up more guys. But then again, it's a battle royal. So he's probably like, let me the fuck out of this thing. I like do you think, real quick, do you think that Minoru Suzuki and, um, oh, what's, what, what is that gentleman's name? Do you think they're still fighting uh, at some point in Japan? Because they're battling all the way in the back. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, Japanese legend, Blue Trunks. He does, like, the, the arm bar and the Undertaker eyes. He's in WCW. Oh, I can't. I'll look it up. But anyways, they, they, they both got eliminated is what I'm trying to say, and they were fighting. And I believe in some part of Japan, they probably are still fighting. That's what I think. Probably. They're not practicing social distancing. Um, definitely directly in each other's faces. <laughs> it's hard to be critical of a battle royal. I, I know me and you don't really like them in general outside Yuji of... Yuji Nagata is who I was talking about. Sorry. Just one little... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be critical of a Battle Royal because you know what you're getting. I thought this was one of the better ones I've seen, and I do like the format of... That seems like more companies are doing now, where it's not just over the top and the last guy wins. It seems like people are starting to add a stipulation to the end, similar to Impact, where it's like, okay, last four guys, it breaks into a singles match. New Japan did it slightly different, but I think I like that a little better because it takes... it. it it puts more emphasis on the last four guys to me and it not just being an over the top rope thing. Cause we have so many lackluster Royal rumble finishes over the years. I mean, we have some great ones. But we also have like where the match completely breaks down and then someone just like pulls the rope down and someone falls over the top of it after like a <laughs> 60 minute match. So um, yep. it, it, it was entertaining and a good way to open the show. I mean, like I said, it, I, I prefer this, than some of the stuff they do on the opening G1 shows or the big G1 shows where it's like, here's a bunch of six-man matches. Yeah, and somehow they put uh, Taguchi uh, within there, so we have to see him try to do his butthole spots. So, yeah, I agree with you. But um, let's go into this, uh, the first match on the card. Uh, like we said, getting right into it with some heat. Hiromu Takahashi, who is the best of the Super Juniors winner, this last year going against El Fantasmo ELP who is the super J cup winner. Um, and the person would advance for night two to go against Ishimori for the IWGP junior heavyweight championship. Uh, this is an awesome match. I really, I mean, I love Takahashi. I like Daniel Bryan. He's up there for the guy that makes me really fucking nervous because he still does stuff that he did before the prior problem, his, his neck injury that almost took him out of uh, New Japan in general and wrestling. Uh, but, you know, people are going to do what they want, and it was a great match. Every time he does that, sun, even when the, sun, uh, the sunset flip powerbomb to the outside, even when he slows it down and you can tell they're putting him in place to kind of like carry them down, it's still a fucking powerbomb, you know, onto the floor uh, to the outside of the ring. So it just looks 
nasty. Uh, at one point, I will say, just because I felt vindicated, because I've said this before in the past, um, you know, uh, at, at one point, I think it was El Fantasma was making fun of uh, Takahashi's, like, kind of tributing Shinsuke, that little handshake gesture that he does. And uh, Rocky Romero said, God, you know, ELP reminds me of Sean Waltman so much. The arrogance, you know, you know, stylistically even, you know, and, and Kevin Kelly said, yeah, I could totally see that. And I said that a long time ago when I first got exposed to ELP. And, you know, I haven't seen a shitload from him, but every time I see him, great fucking heel, devious as shit. You can see the, the growth that he'll probably have in Bullet Club in the future. And just, like I said, they had a great match. Uh, kicked the shit out of each other, but Takahashi would end up winning and advancing for night two to go for the championship. I thought this was a really good match out of the two IW or out of the two junior heavyweight, if you will, bouts. I thought that that the night two was stronger with Ishimori, but I still really enjoyed this match, especially as an opener uh, for the uh, main card. Uh, what do you think, Chris? I liked it. I also thought it was a good use of Jishin Thunder Liger at the beginning of the match to get. ELP yeah. uh, by ELP, like basically taking Hiromu's medals and, and making Jushin Liger put him on him. I mean, that's a good way to use a legend if you're going to use one, right? The match itself, I thought was was phenomenal. Really, really great. The sunsets, uh, the sunset bomb to the outside you're talking about. Yeah, little scary just because it is Takahashi. But, you know, it, this isn't as dangerous as some of the things he, do, he did at like the Super J Cup. So I didn't really have a problem. Uh, with the match itself it was it was very good overall i mean there's just so much good shit on this show like going back and trying to think about it now it's kind of crazy but uh i really loved the fact they basically hit it they finished the fucking match with a hurricane rana after they hit each other with basically everything you could think of <laughs> which was which i thought was awesome um with elp he he went for like a didn't he hit like a V trigger and then go for the one winged angel, which I thought was like kind of a weird thing. And then he, uh, he, he hits like a, a really a Hiromi escapes that one winged angel and hits like a huge death Valley driver into the, uh, the, the corner, which I thought was great. That's another, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's good. this was a good match. And, uh, Takahashi might be the most over person in new Japan outside of like Abushi or Naito. I would have to agree with you, man. And he's great. Love having him back. Yeah, some of those spots, man. Every time the that corner spot happens, it just looks fucking devastating. And yeah, it's it's weird. I kind of I was gonna ask you that. You know, I've seen I think Tanahashi use uh, the Styles Clash before, but it seems like a lot of times if you're because I've seen Jay White do it, I've, it, it. It's like if you're someone in the Bullet Club, you'll pull a Styles Clash, or uh, you know, like you said, the uh, the One Wing Angel. Uh, you, or, you know, you'll use other people's stuff. Kind of like how Kotobushi always tributes Shinsuke by doing the, uh, well, uh, Bomboye, but also the Kinshasa, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it seems like when it comes to, like, he did also, I think, a Bloody Sunday, which is uh, Finn's move uh, back when he was, well, he still does it, but Prince Devitt, if you will. So I guess some of the guys in Bullet Club, it seems, Chris, use the past leaders' finishers. Or maybe that's a thing in New Japan in general. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they did that because I didn't. Even if you go back to some of those early or that very first Okada Omega match, didn't he, he hit like a Styles Clash? I know he's definitely. I believe done it. so. 
at least he's trying to go for it. So yeah, it seems like a thing they've kept running. There was a lot of winks and nods to Kenny Omega during both nights of the show, including a record we'll get into later. But um, I, I don't know if that means anything. I j- it did just it popped in my brain looking at my notes for the show now. Well, you know, it's like there's two roads, and we can kind of like kind of slightly go into it now since it's fresh on my mind. But if there is involvement, I'm just saying, and there's going to be some type of interaction between New Japan and AEW, it makes sense for two people to want to go for that. Uh, and we've kind of talked about those two people. One, and but this seems like it, it even justifies it more. One is Kota Ibushi, another double champion. Has so much history at Kenny Omega. It would make sense if they're going to do some type of interaction. Especially if they have to film in the U.S. for some of their shows. Um, well, actually, I don't know how you get Coda from Japan. But you know what I'm saying. That seems like something. But even with Okada now, what the fuck is Okada going to do in New Japan? You know, uh, it seems like that would freshen him up a bit if he did come there and call out Kenny Omega. So I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, there's a lot of stuff kind of suggesting that things are getting better uh, with relationships within the news and stuff like that between New Japan and AEW. But if Kenny's going to take on two people, it's either, I think, the champion because of their history or his old opponent, probably his greatest rival with Okada because Okada literally, you know, he's 33 and he's already Tanahashi. And I love Tanahashi. And he had the title a couple years ago from beating Kenny Omega. But... You know, Okada's young in his career, and he's already a living legend. I kind of want to see him do some other stuff. So there's that. Do you kind of agree with that? I There's so many ways that they can go, and I guess it's all going to be dependent on how long Japan's going to be shut down. Right? Because, I mean, they're dialing this back completely. That's part of the reason they decided to do the Jay White angle that they did. Absolutely, I would love to see interactions with Kenny Omega and Okada. Um, but with Ibushi being the double champion, like you stated, by the end of this show. Spoiler alert, if you guys haven't watched Wrestle Kingdom by now. Um, but uh, yeah, wouldn't that wouldn't that be like a great feud? You know, your former best friend has turned into this batshit crazy guy that's being controlled by John, like Don Callis uh, in the old Bullet Club. And you have like basically the perfect baby face with a bushi who has to come and knock him down a peg if they wanted to do that that could be cool too i think everyone wants the okada coming to america i i I had this conversation with a friend last night do you think okada would need a manager in america and if so like who would you make his manager in AEW? oh you're saying would he need a manager yes just for like your normal American audience, I mean, like the you know your diehard Okada is. Uh, my thought when I was talking about this last night actually was if if you're gonna put someone with Okada, now that the Young Bucks are basically fucking heels, is FTR just gonna be baby faces now? And do you just put like Okada in Tully? I mean that that's that's fucking interesting. You know, if you didn't have so many people, I would say Taz would be perfect because Okada is presented as this you know, uh, prestigious fighter and stuff like that. But obviously I don't want to see him mixed in with cage and everyone else single manager that would be good in AEW to represent Okada. That is such a hard 
fucking question. Like a lot of the guys that they have on it that they have available, you know, it seems like they're 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 too wrapped up. I wouldn't Jake the Snake wouldn't make a lot of sense. You know, um, I'm trying to think of like, you know, Arn Anderson wouldn't make a lot of sense. I mean, that would be a cool fucking pair up just for the sake of pair ups. Tully would, you know, like you said, would FTR, I think, uh, I, and it's kind of smart. I think they're separating them in the Bucks for a while, maybe letting FTR kind of build up, but I don't see them going babyface completely. Um, and I still feel like there's something going on with a future with Cody, FTR, Arn, and Tully in some type of heel fashion in the next couple months shaping out. Um, but a specific manager, I mean, sadly, it's Gato, because even though obviously he has his thick accent, <laughs> he's... He's, uh, but you know that's not going to happen because of what's happened storyline. But he can speak English and hype him up. And uh, but other than that, I, I I don't know. I mean, Paul Heyman. I I thought this uh, after watching, especially after watching Raw this week. Um, Ric Flair. Yeah, of course. Which would be perfect for Okada because Okada is basically. In New Japan, he is the man that makes it rain money. It's kind of a Ric Flair spoof to some extent, outside of just being a prize fighter. Like, you put those two guys out there, Rick cuts this huge promo, they start coming to the ring and all the money starts falling through the sky. Uh, that would be pretty fucking great. Oh, it would be awesome. Another person, I mean, if we're going fantasy, fantasy, because they don't do shit with them, um, over in WWE would be Samoa Joe. You know, if he was on, if, if, he was on AEW, but he's still holding back, coming back to wrestling a little bit because he's trying to like heal his body up or whatever the reason why he's doing that. If you had Samoa Joe managing Okada, that would be fucking phenomenal. Great pairing. Or like fucking Paul Ellering. What's he doing? Call him up. He's a great manager. Or or Conan. Fuck it. You know, Conan will talk the shit up. It doesn't really make a lot of sense because of his involvement with AAA and, and stuff like that. But I mean, there are plenty of mouthpieces out there that would be able to help out Okada. And not only that, people got to realize Okada speaks decent English. He really does. Um, so unlike WWE, give him a chance to, to express that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that that's the inevitable, it seems like. You got to get Okada over here. What the hell does he have left in, in New Japan? He's done everything literally, and he's 33. This is a very similar situation to kind of what ended up kind of flatlining Orton for a long time in the 2000s, I would say, is that he was young, he accomplished pretty much everything within the first couple of years, even had a year feud with The Undertaker, and then it was like, what else can he fucking do? Luckily, I don't think Okada's going to go to narcotics after, to ease his uh, time. <laughs> I, You know, Okada will be fine on his own if they just brought him in and to take out the Bullet Club, because he would be the guy that would fight the Bullet Club, if you really think about it. I mean, he went, he went against Styles, he went against Omega... Um, he's basically battled all of those guys. It would make a lot of sense to make him be the, the bullet guy. club hunter. Pretty much. I mean, if you really think about it, even though at that time period, Okada wasn't a, not a straight baby face to say the least. Uh, but uh, as far as like, it's just really difficult to think about like who would be a great manager for him. And I don't think he needs one like in, because his in ring is so good. He'll get over regardless. But uh, if you're trying to draw in new fans, Positioning with someone who's strong on the mic. I mean, Eddie Kingston would be a choice, but he's currently not. Yeah. A yeah, I'm sure someone will pop in my head where I'll be like, that would be actually a good person. It'll probably be like randomly in a message later on um, where I probably might have ingested some type of substance. Um, but anyways, yeah, if, if we get that, that would be awesome. 
But also, Kota Ibushi, double champion. Kenny Omega, within the next couple weeks, I think is going to be a triple heavyweight champion between, between three different major divisions. That confrontation of those two, perfect babyface, perfect heel, would be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the big thing with me with Kenny is in all of those, in all of the brands, he's going to be the big champion. There's not the guy unless you go immediately back to Moxley, right? So mm-hmm. bring in would make a lot of sense. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to pull that off. Because, I mean, it can't be Darby right away. No. Can't do Cody because he can't ever fight for the title again or whatever the hell that stipulation was. Uh, and and Hangman is hanging out with the Dark Order. So they don't have like a clear-cut number one baby face. So if they're going to bring someone in, now would make the time or make the most sense. Yep, I agree. Well, let's move on to the next match. We had the uh, IWGP Tag Team Champions, Girls of Destiny, Tonga's Tama Tonga, and Tonga Low going against the Dangerous Techers, uh, Zack Sabre Jr., and that weird dude that likes the Phantom of the Opera, Tai Chi. Um, this 20-minute match, pretty fucking good. I love Gorillas of Destiny. I love Tama Tonga. That guy, you know, I, I think his, I think him and his brother make a great tag team. I would love to see him, them and the Usos mix it up. That's always going to be a fantasy match because they grew up together, separate brothers, you know, just battling it out and very similar styles. But Tama Tonga, man, like I always say, I love... You know, the people that he was inspired by when he was younger, two of them, I've, I've always said there's certain elements, uh, you know, one, one being Piper, with his just craziness, like chaotic style of a, just kind of just going into like a, a little bit of a frenzy mode. Um, but even Macho Man Randy Savage, I think he said is his number one favorite wrestler of all time. You can definitely see that. And his dad's fucking Ming. But uh, this was an awesome match. I love Zack Sabre Jr. When he gets like a hot tag, he doesn't go for, like, a clothesline or anything like that. He literally puts you in a fucking octopus lock and, like, dismantles you. But they weren't uh, victorious. The Girls of Destiny retained their titles. And uh, good stuff. This was, I believe they said, I think the seventh reign for them. And, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first time uh, God has has uh, won the titles or retain them at wrestle kingdom because don't they usually lose them every single year? God, it was that way for so long. It does seem like they have just lost them every single year, but this is, yeah, this is their seventh title run. I think it may be the most title victories in new Japan history. As far as reigns go like title reigns. Yep. I like it a lot. Tamatanga is incredible. I love their tag team. It's just the new Japan tag division. Is seemingly just a bunch of random dudes thrown together, which you can kind of tell in this match, if we're being completely honest, that, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. hasn't been pushed heavily recently. It's just like two random guys thrown into a match against Gorillas of Destiny. But it was a really good fucking match, so there's that. Yeah, it was an awesome match. Uh, Just, uh, you know, great one on this card. Nothing, I think, to write home about, because they had a... What was the match they had where Zach and Taichi won it from them? That was an excellent match a couple uh, months back. But, you know, these guys obviously have been feuding, so they built chemistry with each other, so they put on another awesome performance. Uh, next match, the IWGP uh, United States uh, Championship Challenge Right Certificate. 
if you will. This would be going for uh, inevitably uh, John Moxley with the uh, IWGP U.S. title. Uh, we had Kenta. He was supposed to go against uh, Juice Robinson, but Juice unfortunately uh, had a orbital bone uh, crack. You know, so it took him out of the match. They last minute put uh, Kojima in. You know, who who is with Tenzin, who's an awesome legend. You know, much older in age, but you know, for this being impromptu, Chris. And I felt bad for Kojima having to get in there with Kenta. Because, God, man, that guy fucking is stiff with his kicks. But I thought they put on an excellent match for what it was. And Kenta advanced. So looks like that would have happened, I think, even with Juice Robinson, inevitably. I think this has always been about building, in my opinion, John Moxley and Kenta. Uh, just because that seems like a brutal fucking match in the making. Um, and we've already seen Juice, obviously, with Moxley. And I didn't see Kojima going over, but it was good to see a legend get a spot in there. Much bigger match than some fucking tag match at the beginning like we were talking about. And still be able to put on a great fucking match. I saw Kojima live. He's still, for for his age, he's still able to kick some ass, man. I th- yeah, I thought he was great here, honestly. He's yeah, 50, this, for Christ's sakes. Sorry. This, uh, this match was way better than I expected it to be. And uh, it's crazy to think that Kenta was in WWE and they did dick all with him. Because <laughs> he's been on this New Japan run, I think that Kenta has been really great. They, they obviously haven't pushed him as heavily as they could have. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's been pretty fucking good on this run and the Moxley promo beforehand to just ensure the audience that he is going to defend that fucking belt was, was a good move on New Japan's part. Yeah, and let's talk about that promo itself. So Moxley came up on the screen basically and said, you know, we saw someone uh, riding on a horse. So kind of like um, instantly went to me because of the match itself uh, for that title, um, you know, uh, to get that, to be able to get that title, if you will. Death Rider, it's John Moxley, comes out, fire promo, and just calls out the person that wins. And uh, yeah, we're going to begin that over here in the U.S., don't exactly know when, but what do they do? I, I, I have to ask, Chris, do they keep the title on Moxley uh, where they can have that type of attraction feel to him? Or would AEW want him to go, even if he doesn't have the, the AEW title, he's still one of their their top guys, drop that title to another person, although they could have involvement and bullshit with Bullet Club or even a, a version of Bullet Club that just formed and attacked the shit out of him. So there is ways to do it. Um, to kind of say fuck you to Moxley without making him look bad and defeat. But, yeah, I, I would say that I guess Kenta's going to be getting that title. It's just awkward for the AEW, the former AEW World Heavyweight Champion to lose his U.S. belt unless there's some type of tomfoolery and involvement with Bullet Club um, and maybe even just really showing that Bullet Club is, is everywhere, basically, once again uh, within wrestling. Maybe Kenny comes out and fucks him over. I, yeah, I could see them doing some kind of weird fuck finish. I guess it just depends on if New Japan is going to work with a, All Elite, which is kind of a toss-up. Either way, you got to get the belt off Moxley, and putting it on Kenta is not the t- most terrible idea you could have. And I would think you know, the, the immediate feud after that would be Juice Robinson, since he was supposed to be in this match and got injured. But... Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the easy go-to move would be to have the Bullet Club just jump Moxley because it protects Moxley. Now's a good time to do it. 
let's say in a couple months because I feel like they're going to ride the Bullet Club thing for probably until the summer before that thing uh, dissolves, right? I would say so. So yeah, now would be a good time because you have an out for Moxley where it won't make him look weak. I know that was the big thing. Being AEW's heavyweight champion and being this champion in New Japan kind of put both New Japan and Ollie wrestling in a in a weird spot, right? Like you don't want the guy to drop the title and look weak. It's kind of the same reason that Pac was like locked in that contract with Dragon Gate, which props to them. I don't know how they wrote that in the contract or whatever. They like had going back and looking at that, they were like, if you win our title, you can't like lose on TV. That was so fucking weird. Thinking about it now. Yeah. That's a that's a very good point. Uh, another thing that was weird, uh, I think, was the next match, man, because I love uh, I love Tanahashi. Uh, I think he's great. He's a legend. Uh, still incredible in the ring for, you know, a little bit up there in age. But, you know, he went against the great Okan. I know they were trying to get him over. He's the one that helped Will Ospreay destroy Okada uh, and is a part of his faction. And great Okan visually looks pretty damn good, but you can tell. He's greener. He's fresh out of the dojo as a young lion. So it wasn't that it was a it was a bad match, but it was a 17 match, 17 minute match where it seemed like Tanahashi was trying to bring a great match out of a young gentleman. And they did a good job, but I don't think it was anything to write home about. I don't think it was anything too special. We've obviously seen way bigger matches with Tanahashi on Wrestle Kingdom. Would you agree? I would have to agree with you, but they didn't really have anything for Tanahashi to do, so I had no problem with this match being there, and he has to be on the card. Like, Wrestle Kingdom without Tanahashi is kind of like, it's going to be like WrestleMania without Undertaker. You know what I mean? Like, he has to be there. He's kind of that guy. So it was good to at least see him on the card, and uh, he's one of those guys that can just have a good match with anyone. Like, this match wasn't bad. It's just when it's Tanahashi, you expect this level of excellence that it's almost impossible to keep up a, a Every match, right? Yeah. Does it do anything for Great Ocon knocking a win? No, but I, I don't I don't know where they're gonna go with that. We'll get into it a little later with the Okada match. Cause uh that entire faction lost tonight, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean maybe you're just gonna have Osprey versus Great Ocon do a breakup or something. But uh, I, I will say this about Okan. When he was laying his fucking chops in towards the end of this match and doing that giant yell he was doing, <laughs> he looked like there's there's some there's something there. I kind of liked that part of the match. I think it was like right after they teased the high fly flow to the outside. Um, yep. I mean, it was, it's just good Tanahashi shit. I mean, if you like Tanahashi, you're going to like this match. Yeah, I agree with you. And also, I loved his entrance, too. Great Okan kind of weird like almost kabuki or ormuda but like at, with his weird arm things going on like he definitely gets the entertainment concept he just needs to get a little bit fresher in the ring but he's already off to a great start and he got to go against a legend on wrestle kingdom so not too bad for a first year even in loss um i think this is all about the next match like i said i love naito and Ibushi, but you got fucking Okada and Osprey, and I think that this would have to be the match tonight. It was the longest match, 35 minutes, 41 seconds. Uh, Osprey backed with uh, B. Priestley, stardom uh, women's champion. 
And uh, she definitely played in this match, doing a little bit of uh, sensational Sherry-like things, if you will. Distracting, causing problems, but my God. I think the most one of the most violent spots was definitely that table spot. Um, but I just love how ruthless both gentlemen were. And I'm thinking that, and then Rocky Romero kind of says that, like who obviously, within storyline in real life, has a relationship with Okada that this might be the most ruthless he's seen both gentlemen, especially Will Ospreay, in a match. These guys together have had great matches, but it was always master versus student, level of respect. This was Ospreay not giving a fuck and trying to really, really hurt Okada. And uh, it didn't work, inevitably, which I was kind of... I didn't want Okada to lose, but I didn't really want Will Ospreay to lose either. So it was kind of strange that all of a sudden Will loses to him. Like you said, both his member of his faction loses. Um, at least B still has that title for her, I guess. But uh, it was still a fucking phenomenal match. I'm not a fan, and I know a lot of people aren't, of the, the Million Dollar Dream, Cobra Clutch, the, the money clip that, that Okada does. I love the Rainmaker. It was I, I still miss, and it's like he... He, I, I get what Okada does. It's kind of like the balloon Okada era, if you will. He takes stuff away, so when he brings it back, it's that more grander. We didn't get the the pose that he does, the camera coming, you know, zooming out, and him actually doing the full twisted version. I love it when he does the rotating one, though. That's that's fucking just devastating looking. But yeah, uh, with they they fucking did everything in the kitchen sink towards each other, uh, and Okada ended up getting the win. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this to you, Chris. Was Okada beating Will Ospreay the right choice going forward? It's so it's because they took the heavyweight. You know, they they basically made a huge baby face in Ibushi. Obviously, I don't think Okada is going to be the first guy to go against him. So I don't know what you're going to do with Okada after this. Because this was kind of the end of the Will Ospreay storyline, I would assume. I don't know. It, it would be really hard to have Okada lose after the year that New Japan's had at Wrestle Kingdom and the only match he was going to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, I will say this, that timekeeper, right before the timekeeper spot that you're talking about where they were on that table, um, Okada goes to hit like, he hits like a perfect drop kick and then he tries another one, and fucking Osprey just catches him and hits him with like a running power bomb. That might have been one of my favorite spots in the match, just because of the awesome. way <laughs> it was just set up so well. Uh, and uh, when Okada blocks this Oz cutter on the apron and just hits him with a tombstone on the ap- on the apron, you're like, holy <laughs> shit, bro! <laughs> you know that like Osprey was completely protected and fine because it's Okada, but it looked gnarly as fuck, and. Uh, Man, they really did protect. I didn't think about this, you know, this year. It's been so weird. But they've not had him do the Rainmaker in, like, four or five months or something. Like, yep. let's talk about protecting it. They really did save it for this match. And, if and they it, didn't even fully do it. They didn't do the actual Rainmaker. They obviously, clothesline him, but not the full thing. You know, they, they, the uh, where he has him by the back and then he pulls him into it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would love to hear Jim Ross talk about Okada when he. You remember because just like like a few weeks ago he was bitching about finishers not being protected anymore. <laughs> if there's one guy in this business that protects this fucking finisher, it's Okada. Yeah, 
Yep, I completely agree with you. I, I, and also, I just want to say, too, it's like, you know, I'm part of a, a, a cult called the Cult of Cornette, if you will. I'm on their Facebook page. And some people are wrestling fans, and some people are marks to whatever the fuck Jim says. And I usually agree more with Brian Last, I would say, than Jim, because he doesn't get so into his ways when it comes to certain things. But people were still, like, ripping on Osprey. You know, basically it came from someone saying that uh, New Japan was great, but this match was excellent. Okada's one of the best workers in the world. People were even ripping on Okada, which, of course, I had to make my statements. But with Osprey itself, oh, he's just, you know, he's, he's, he's just a flipping machine. It's like, you are evaluating this based on, and I still thought that was an amazing performance with him and Ricochet. Back when he was, what, fucking 20? 19 the man is 28 29 and this match to me proves that will osprey can slow it down and not rely on a bunch of shit like that and put on an incredible match as a storyteller in the last two two and a half to three years will osprey has evolved a lot get your fucking mind out of what the fuck you saw from being in your old ways if you don't watch if any form of wrestling, I, I feel like if you don't watch the product, you have no reason to shit talk. Even WWE, if you watch it, you think it's it's it sucks. You're basing it off opinion from actually seeing it. But like when someone says, "Hey, from this organization, this match was awesome," and you completely shut it down and you don't even watch the fucking thing, especially with something like a New Japan or to me NXT or AEW, then you're a fucking mark <laughs> for your own thing. You're not even giving something a chance. Uh, and with New Japan, I think that's so stupid. If anyone handles stuff in a sports way, it goes way over the top with connecting and being, well, from snug to actually really almost shoot, if you will, with punches and stuff like that. Um, I think they're one of the only ones that actually cap captures the element of professional wrestling the best. Uh, I think NXT's a close second when it comes to the actual in-ring product looking like a sports-styled thing. Um, AEW would probably be right after that. Uh, but to me, in New Japan, there is nothing that actually looks like an actual fight that can get me into it as much and take my sustained belief and really get me into it like they're actually having a, a physical contest. So if you have a problem with Osprey, it's because you don't watch Osprey. That's it. You're 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 molded a certain way, and you don't want to see someone. And if you have a problem with Okada, you have fucking serious brain issues. I would go get that concussion looked out. <laughs> concussion syndrome test. Yeah, definitely. I I get that people might not like Will Ospreay, but I'm on the same level as you. They've only seen that highlight clip with him and Ricochet and people crapping on that match for being what it was. And me and you at the time, I was not very high on that match either. But that doesn't define an entire guy's career. Like, did they not see him in the G1 in 2019? Like, he had an amazing year leading in. Yeah, just like they didn't see Ricochet going against, you know, John Morrison and, and, and Penta and fucking Lucha Underground. They only saw that one thing. And they both suck because of it. So stupid. Yeah, their entire careers are judged off of uh, <laughs> one twenty second spot that was the opening to the goddamn match. I guess no one watched the rest of the match. That's the other thing, right? There's no one... But anyone saying anything bad about Okada, like, go fuck yourself with a rusty spoon. The fuck out of here with that. I had a lot of people agreeing with me. I said, Okada is up there as far as overall 
in-ring performer, and I put him at number one, but there's only a couple of them on the planet that are, you know, anywhere near to his level. I said AJ Styles, Walter. There's not a lot of fucking people that can go up to an hour and put on a great fucking wrestling performance. And if I spoke Japanese fluently, I would know how good he is in the mic even more so, because, you know, that's one thing that kind of takes it back. But, I mean, Okada's... Okada, it's like... I don't know. I mean, he's basically the rock New Japan, but way better in ring. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you just look at those people and go, name a bad Okada match? Question mark. Kenny Omega versus Okada B. What do they call him? Like, Glitter Hands McFinger Bang or some shit? Isn't that like the Cornette fans thing? Cornette calls him um, Harper Marks. Um, because he looks like one of the Marx brothers, but he also calls him. Yeah, it's it's McFinger. Ben- what the fuck is the full name? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's Cornet. Cornet's never going to get over it. I mean, he can and he praised Okada, but I don't think he's seen a lot from him. But he can t- he liked Okada out of that. That was obviously his thing that he gave away. And even like I said, I think Brian Brian Lass is a little bit. He's way more understanding with newer stuff, and he's even said like, "I don't dislike Kenny as much as you do." You know, that's why I like their show is because he's kind of there to not just cater towards Jim's opinion. He will say if you like something, but Jim Cornette's never going to get over the fucking doll and DDT uh, wrestling. He's never going to get all over the the child that that Kenny fought. It's so stupid that something else. Another thing when it comes to judgment, let's just go there because it's the same type of group, the cult that I am a part of. I love Jim Cornette, but you know, I'll, I'll, I don't agree with everything certain people do uh, or, or, or their opinions. I think that's the thing about wrestling. And I respect Jim's, but sometimes it's like it's tainted due to the way that he sees things. Um, that was a small, small, like sliver of the beginning of Kenny's career in Japan where he did that. And like we said, for some reason, it never gets brought up. Maybe I'll write it in as a question if Brian actually decides to a- ask it. Does Jim not forget fighting Ninja Turtles? Like, or certain wrestlers from the 80s that are fucking incredibly great having to do stupid shit and promotions. Now, Kenny might have been okay with doing it regardless because it's it's something smaller. He's having fun. It's it's not New Japan. It's fucking DDT. Um, but Jim won't get past that. There's no way. And he hates all the dancey shit that I guess that Kenny does in the in the ring. But, you know, the judgment of people in wrestling... When it comes to fans that don't watch said wrestler, is so fucking stupid. I'm so sick of this Marvel versus DC type of attitude when it comes comes to wrestling fans. I think that if it's good wrestling, it's good fucking wrestling, and that's how you should judge it. But you know, whatever. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And you know what? I, I'm not gonna be the guy that's just gonna crap on Cornette for his opinions on Omega. Like, if you don't like Omega, just don't like Omega. But, but I don't know that we need to have a fucking 20-minute rant every one of his podcasts about Kenny Omega. I mean, I know he's reviewing AEW, so buckle up. We're going to be in for that for a while. <laughs> but it's it, it, it's just worn on me. Like, it was, like, cute and funny two years ago. But, God, like, we're still on this fucking thing. That being said, I did listen to a very good episode of uh, the Cornette podcast where they went into shoots, and uh, I think the follow episode was all about Japanese wrestling, which was was incredible. I think it was like episode 353 and 354, if I remember right. Those are yep. two really good episodes. Uh, so, like, you know, I'm the same as you. I, I like Cornette. 
but some of the shit he says you just got to take with a grain of salt. I mean, part of it's the character for the show, right? It's really funny that him and Dave Meltzer have heat, but their shows are like <laughs> very fucking similar with different ideas. Basically. <laughs> He's like Bizarro Superman versus Superman, kind of. And then like Brian Alvarez is like the guy that wrangles in <laughs> Dave and Brian Last is the guy that they even have people with the same fucking first names wrangling them yeah. in. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't. I didn't realize it. It is though. It's. It's a very similar concept. Opposite opinions, and I hate that. You know, I, he used to be on. They both used to be on each other's shows like a year and a half ago. So uh, same thing with Chris Jericho. But Jim's into his fucking ways. Dave's into his fucking ways. They're both very hard headed. But when it comes to opinions, like I said, I might not agree with everything that Jim says or Dave says, but I appreciate them. And to me, there are certain people that give off their opinion within being just in like what i'm trying to say is i think this is a problem and i don't think me and you do this we have our opinions but we don't state our opinions as fact okay certain people have more credibility than others based on the amount of time you've been in the business or around the business like a dave metzler like a jim Cornette, and might have opposite opinions but i can't stand the motherfuckers that i don't think know everything that kind of state everything as it is fact. And a lot of them, even though I appreciate where, you know, their, their podcasts or their website or whatever, it's like, just shut the fuck up. You don't know everything, man. I mean, say your opinion. Don't say as if it is the supreme opinion. And I'll be honest with you. This is why I hate Disco Inferno. And this is why sometimes Brian Alvarez makes me roll my eyes a bit. Um, people of that but at least i respect their opinions because they have same thing ranking longer within that same industry than say like your leader of a fucking website that i listen to that says everything needs to go back to the 80s when it comes to like wwe 80s because that's what they grew up on they could build wrestlers it, i don't know it's it's a lot of shit wrestling's the way it is we're gonna have to get over that um if you like older aspects there's plenty of stuff out there for you to watch you know New Japan actually would be one of the things I would suggest watching, actually, if you really want that old school style. If you want press conferences and fucking weigh-ins and, and a lot of the things that you'd normally do in combat sports, they kind of handle that. And I don't think anyone does it even close, even NXT. In the, the biggest problem is these fuckers don't even watch these guys. They just listen to the podcast and then they shit on the guy based on someone else's opinion. That, that's the problem I have with it more than anything else is like blindly following someone because you like their podcast. You know, like, if, look, anyone out there listening, if you like our, my podcast and I say something shitty about Randy Orton, go watch Randy Orton and make the decision for yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's all you can really ask for. But I think the biggest like I said, the, I think the biggest problem with a lot of those fans and getting into the comment section is. They just enjoy the podcast. They're not actually watching all of this shit. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's That's amazing. The, that, so, like, you know, with 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 Brian Alvarez, it, I love Alvarez. By the way, I I am more of an Alvarez mark than you. But uh, <laughs> I've watched a lot of really shitty Raw recently, and this dude's been doing it for like thirty years at this point. So I could see him being kind of disenfranchised. Yeah, yeah, I I get that, and that's. I still appreciate stuff. I just think that he's a bit arrogant in the way that he does it. And that's why I also even more so can't stand uh, D.I. 
mostly because I love Conan's opinion and I have to listen to that fucking idiot. Um, but at the same time, not to discredit them, Brian has been in the industry for a very long time. Uh, him and Vinny had obviously worked together before. They're part of Wrestling Observer. He's been paying attention to it on all statistics for a very long time. So he definitely has a lot of credibility. And even, I will say, Glenn Gilberti, he was a fucking, he was, you know, a big wrestler. Good, He's, he's a good worker, man. You can't say, you can't take that away from him. He's been a part of booking for a long time, even though I think some of the booking uh, that he's happy about with Vince Russo and WCW in the late or in the late nineties, late, late nineties, when he first came in, shouldn't be something that you reflect back on. But at the same time, he's been around the business, you know, they have reason for it. It's my problem is, is like you said, the fans that get inspired by them think they're gods, whoever it be. And then they're more into the fucking podcast than they, and, and the opinions of the people presenting that podcast, than they are the actual fucking wrestlings. Like, how can you keep yourself I don't know. I don't want to ramble on this too much. I know that you probably want to counter it, but let's get to the uh, the uh, main event as soon as you uh, say whatever you'd like to say, sir. No, I mean, I think he hit the nail on the head. And as far as, like, Disco goes, I will say, isn't he one of the only two people in our worst wrestlers of all time list <laughs> in our Hall I of think Fame? He was vo- I think he's voted in by someone. I don't remember exactly. Didn't you put him into the Hall of Shame, if I remember? <laughs> Uh, I, I just get hot, and I have to fucking argue with, uh, what is it, Huji or Huji, which is their, YouTube, that they make fun of constantly on their show, but, you know, monitors their YouTube uh, thing, and if you say anything bad about DR or DI, he, he gets he gets angry, and then won't respond to you when you come back with logic, but uh, I need to stop commenting. That's what I'm going to do, 2021, no more commenting and dealing with idiots. Just let them be stupid and ignorant on every level. <laughs> I, I mean, I love Conan, but I can't stand that podcast, if I'm being completely honest. That thing has not been the same since, was it Shane Helms was on it? Yeah, it hasn't. I I not paid any attention to that. But I do like you rambling and yelling about Disco. That's like a, that's a <laughs> thing that we need to continue each week. Uh, I agree. All right, well, let's let, we, we got we to gotta get this thing done. Um, Kotobushi, Tetsuya Naito. Oh, man. I think this is... I can't believe I'm saying this. I think this is the safest match with the two of them that I've seen. Nothing too crazy. Definitely dropped on next. But not as much uh, as they usually are. Kota would actually do the spot where he gets on. He grabs him from the uh, outside... Or grabs Jay White, I should say, for the suplex when he's on the apron. Gets on the second rope and gives him a suplex. And Jay was able to do it a lot safer than Naito, who I, I swear to God, Naito could kind of roll over like Jay White did, uh, but he usually just lets him just go right the fuck on his head. But these were two guys, their position now within the storyline is that they respect the fuck out of each other. Naito has had one shitty year, but he still held up New Japan. And Kota Ibushi is the new darling, if you will, within the company. He's done everything he go- he could do and has gotten everything fucking him fucked over, you know, with the whole Jay White thing. Um, you know, came through so much adversity, uh, even even suggested within the commentary that since he wasn't New Japan created, that he had to work even harder because he didn't go through a dojo system. Uh, you know, he had to build himself and show who he was. And I just, I love Kota Ibushi. In this match, it wasn't as so much, a completely different match with him and Jay White. And I might have liked the Jay White match a little bit better. This was two guys that respected each other. 
that kicked the shit out of each other, had a fucking balls to the wall, amazing match. Uh, but it came down to, I mean, I think that Kota Bushi, what, it was like three Destinos that he fucking kicked out of? It was incredible how much, uh, you know, that Naito gave to him, and he fucking still couldn't put him down. And, and you know, that needed a face, man. Because I know how it's supposed to happen, and, I, and then I know when Kota accidentally fucking just hits him pretty fucking stiffly on the side of the head. It's like, God, if you hit a temple, I don't know. But uh, it's still a, a – uh, it, it scares me every time. But I, I love Kota Bushi when he won it. I think the my favorite part of the match was actually after the match because of the storytelling and just because showing how amazing Kota Bushi is. So they're tangled in each other after Kota actually gets the pin. Both of them are laying there, you know, not doing anything. Naito kind of gets out of it. And he gets over to one corner. He's trying to pull himself up, realizing that he lost, uh, and kind of like trying trying to get himself up. Coda, no, 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 that's right. Naito hadn't got up yet. He just kind of moved away from him. And then Coda kind of snaps out of it and goes to pin Naito again. And Red Shoes has to tell him, no, 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 you already won. You hit, These titles are yours. And like, you know, him coming to realization – and allowing his real emotions of, of his accomplishment mixed in with the storyline. And he started crying. And he had, you know, both belts. And then then you have Tetsuya Naito that gets up. And he pushes red shoes. And he grabs the titles. And he's walking around the ring pacing. And then he finally comes up. And he hands the titles to Kota Ibushi. And raises his hand. And it was such an amazing moment. Jay White would come up, talk a bunch of shit uh, that he wouldn't be able to pack up inevitably. And I thought it was an amazing moment. I did get a little bit choked up. You know, Coda got to me. That's this type of stuff I love in wrestling. Um, and I don't know what this means for Tetsuya Naito going future, since you know most people uh, within his they they got wins. You know, Takahashi won. I know Bushi did not win, but at least he's just part of the top four. Um, and obviously um, Sonata, which we'll talk about, uh, won his match with Evil. But their leader, Naito, he's pretty broken. So I don't know what's going to happen to him going forward. I know in real life he is nursing a lot of injuries and just going forward with it. So maybe this would be a good time uh, for him to take some time off. Because when it came down to it, when the, when they got started during this pandemic and stuff like that, he was having to do a majority of everything. Well, he was doing a lot uh, this last year out of a lot of the people that worked in New Japan. So still, even a year with the pandemic, I think that he's probably still fucking broken a bit. So I wouldn't mind seeing Naito kind of take a duck out for a little while and maybe come in in a new way. I don't know, as a heel, baby face, some, you know, you could do either at this point. But Kota Ibushi, um, God, dude. Chris, is Kota one of the most pure baby faces in the world? Easily. I mean, he's easily got to be like the at least the biggest white meat baby face. I think you made a good a good comparison when you're like Goku <laughs> for how he's booked. Basically, <laughs> it's it's uh and, and I don't mean that to be like, you know, he's like super Cena or anything. But uh, yeah, I mean, all, all everything that he's had to overcome to get here since signing that New Japan contract. Like we thought I thought he was going to win the title last year. And they saved it. And I thought this match was pretty fucking great. My second favorite match of the night. This match could have been amazing if Naito wasn't hurt. That was the yeah. one take. This is like Naito. Like, I've seen them have better matches. Maybe not with the the same importance. 
But I've, I have seen these two guys have better matches, scary-ass matches, but better matches. Naito does seem like he was nursing something, which may be the reason that they chose to put it on Ibushi. I don't think it's a bad move. I thought the match itself was was pretty fucking great. And and the same as you, man. It's it's that Shawn Michaels moment, right? The boyhood dream. It just harkens back to my childhood when I see shit like this. And it, it, This one wasn't eye-rolling when Naito got up and handed him those two belts because we have this long-running history of this feud where they basically try to kill each other. <laughs> so it was a uh, it was a good moment, man. A good match. And, and I liked night one better than night two. Um, but uh, fucking solid show overall. Yeah, I would agree. But let's get into night two. Um, I want to let's go over the first match. I got to admit, I kind of didn't really pay attention too much to this match, but I'm happy that Toriano won. Toriano, Chase Owens, Bad Luck Fale, Bushi, for a match for the Provision King of Pro Wrestling 2021 trophy. Well, I'll just get down to it. Yano won. Um, I can't even remember this match, Chris. I apologize, but this, I just, this one and even a little bit of the next one, it just didn't pick up for me. And like I said, that's one thing I think that, one of the only things I think WWE does better than New Japan is getting you hooked at the beginning, even if you slow it down directly after the first match. Um, just the pacing, this, I think this was more comparable with the first two matches, even though second one I think was, not memorable, but really hard-hitting with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships, but they kind of, they were flat. I didn't get into this fucking pay-per-view until Takagi and Cobb for the third match. But uh, what did you think about the first one and Toriyano getting this trophy? Yano deserves something, right? Give the man sure. a trophy. <laughs> uh, I thought, I liked the spot that set up the finish with, you know, Fale and Owens arguing against each other that just led to them. All right, fuck it. We're going to beat the referee's ass <laughs> to only immediately get hit in the dick by Yano. I mean, it was a good finish. I, I think you needed a little bit of that levity coming out, you know, of Coda winning the title the night before. So I had no problem with what this match was. I mean, it's a Yano match, right? So uh, overall it was pretty good. And, and I didn't, you know, I know I'm going to say this match hooked me or, you know, got me super invested. But I watched these kind of back-to-back. And I think if I would have watched these, like, live night tonight, it would maybe fit a little better. Because, like I said, I, I think it was, like, just giving them a little bit of a breathing period before diving right back in after the, the big title win by Ibushi. Yeah. Uh, next match, we had, like I said, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. I got to admit, if I just don't, I'm not a big, if, if you can't tell, I'm not a big Taguchi fan. I think there's a reason. I know that he's a legend. He's been around a long time. But uh, there's a reason when he's usually in battle royals, everyone just kicks the shit out of him, I, I feel. Um, and it's not, I'm not like Jim Cornette where if there's there's a rule to like a certain wrestler, then they just, they just skip it. Uh, but definitely... I guess it shows the, the, the amount of, of tag teams they really have. I like Master Wado. I think that he has a hell of a lot of uh, potential. I like his look. Um, and I like I really like El Desperado. I'm not really the biggest Kanemura fan either. But there's there was two guys in a tag match on each team that I actually liked. Didn't really pay a hell of a lot of attention. 
but Suzuki Gun uh, ended up winning anyways. Um, I don't know. Like I said, Taguchi, there's certain people, man, that just like Joey Ryan was one of those guys. Um, I just, I just, I can't get that into at all. And I apologize if you're offended by that. Actually, I don't care. Chris, what up? They don't need two different tag belts. Nope. <laughs> you don't need a junior. We're talking about getting rid of the IWGP junior, uh, the junior title, or combining those two now that Ibushi won. Right? No, he but, wants the Intercontinental in the heavyweight. That's what it is. Yeah, sorry. Um, if you need to fucking merge titles, like you don't need a junior heavyweight tag team championship with the lack of tag teams that they have at this point. Completely agree. <laughs> um, all right, let's get... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut you off. No, no, it's fine. This match was okay. It's definitely the weakest thing for me on both shows, not being completely honest. And Watto hit the shittiest 619 I've ever seen in my life. I think... Pretty terrible. I'm thinking that's what he was going for. <laughs> yeah, and, and to me, like I said, the next four matches were all, besides the last one, were shorter, about around 20 minutes. But we're definitely the the meat, if you will. I would, if you don't have a lot of time or you're new to New Japan, but you want to see something good, I would go to the last four matches within night two. For night two, we kind of went over the ones in night one, uh, the last two, and the tag match, and then also the other Takahashi match as more of the highlights. So eight great matches on this, some better than others, but I think this was one of the better ones. A Haas match between Shingo Takagi. Uh, from LIJ, I guess another member that also lost. I didn't think about that. Oh, no, no, he won. What am I talking about? That ending with the Tour of Islands. I mean, Jeff Cobb got him twice with that, but the second one, uh, just... These guys beat the living hell out of each other. Shingo, even though... <laughs> Bully Ray describes him as a thumb. He's like a fucking thumb. Like how he's built like a thumb. Kind of comparing him to Taz like that. You know, but... Even though he's kind of like stocky, he doesn't look as... It's kind of like Ishii. Uh, you don't expect him to be as strong, especially with a guy like Jeff Cobb. And Jeff Cobb is a fuckload more agile and faster than, than certain guys his size. But this is for the Never Open Weight uh, Championship. And this was an awesome Haas match. Just, this reminded me of a match that I saw. Who was it? It was um, it was uh, Dr. Death Steve Williams uh, going against... Oh, man. um. Kawada, uh, that I randomly watched not too long ago from All Japan. So Takagi kind of being the Kawada in this match, Jeff Cobb kind of being the Dr. Death, but same concept, great agility. And uh, Chingo Takagi, after taking a tour of the islands, was able to get out the second one. He ended up winning the match, and it was just fucking hard-hitting as hell. I haven't got a chance to watch this a second time, but this is definitely one I'm going to watch a second time. Uh, actually, probably all four of these last matches because they were all really good. But uh, this one, top notch, especially for Takagi. Uh, I don't know about you, Chris, but he's definitely grown on me uh, within the last year and a half. At first, I just wasn't a fan. And then, I mean, I got to give the guy his credit. He's pretty fucking good. Um, too bad Jeff Cobb didn't stay with AEW, huh? That was going to be my first question for you is what the hell happened there? Because I, I know that he came out and said that it was beneficial for both parties. It helped put Ring of Honor over and make people be like, what the hell is with Jeff Cobb? Let's check out wh wherever he's working or whatever. Did they just not sign the guy to a contract? And if so, why did they like 
make him such a part of the inner circle. Have you heard anything else about this? Because I, even going back over my notes for the past like four or five months after watching this match, I don't remember this guy or anyone saying anything on why this guy just randomly appeared and then disappeared. I believe he had still some type of contractual obligations with Ring of Honor, and they just brought him in with AEW, uh, I guess going around to the parameters of what they could do, and just had him for that one match. Um, but when Ring of Honor completely dissipated, and he was offered, I think he was, it was kind of like they brought, brought in Zack Ryder. We haven't seen Zack Ryder in forever. He never got a contract from AEW. You know, I don't know if it was a tryout period or what, but it seems like Cobb, uh, picked New Japan over AEW for whatever reason. I don't know if it was a financial issue, but at first it was just a just come in and wrestle sort of thing as a big name, which is a cool concept itself. But still, Jeff Cobb, like Zack Ryder, a.k.a. Matt Cardona, I think could have been a hell of a lot more within that company, and they probably should have scooped them up and kept them. Taz was supposed to was supposed to eventually take over for Jeff Cobb originally to be his uh, manager before Brian Cage was even involved in that. Which would have made a lot of sense. Uh, I thought this was a very, very good match. Like you said, it was a complete Haas battle. I think Jeff Cobb, to me, Jeff Cobb always looks better in Japan than he does here. I don't know what that is. It, it, his He's style, new Dr. Death, man. Yeah, his style just fits better in Japan. Um, but I haven't, I haven't really thought about Jeff Cobb outside of We've talked about him in Ring of Honor and some of the stuff he's done here or there. Uh, really, until this match, and I was like, "Damn, Jeff Cobb was so good. What the fuck happened to him in AEW?" Like, I mean, because I'm gonna blame this on AEW because if, if the idea was you didn't have the guy in your contract, why did you put him in such a big storyline? Which at the time was their top heel group, the Inner Circle, with Jericho as champion, if I'm remembering correctly. No, I think that's definitely. When it was. Uh, but I don't know. Just strange. Great match. Really like Shingo. Really like Cobb. Has Shingo grown on you a bit, man? Or were you not like me? Did you like him right off the top? I think he's 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 there for me. That's the best way to put it. I mean, I think he's good in the ring. I just don't. He's not a guy that jumps out where I need to see every one of his matches. I gotcha. That's fair. All right, next match. We had a grudge match with Sonata and his ex-tag team partner, Evil, uh, accompanied by Dick Togo of the Bullet Club, Sonata, L.I.J. Evil fucking over that faction, going to Bullet Club, beating Naito, and having a rivalry, obviously, with Sonata uh, throughout the year. You know, I think it was displayed great by, by both Rocky and Kevin. These guys have been in a tag team. So a lot of times in tag teams, when you're in the ring, you constantly see their offense, you constantly see their defense from being on the ropes. When they get in the ring with each other, they just have natural chemistry right off the bat no matter what. And I think that this really proved it. I got to say, I don't want to ever be in that fucking finisher move. Not that I want to be in any uh, submission move or finishing submission move. Um, But the one that I think it's the skull end that, that Sonata does. Mainly, mainly because it 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 kind of looks painful, but you can tell where they have a grip that you know it can't be doing as much damage because like the bottom of where their chin and, and down is not really as 
underneath, so he's not really choking them. He's a stretch. He's supposed to be stretching the neck, I guess. Uh, but I don't want to be in someone's fucking armpit while wrestling a you know match for that long. That would be disgusting and terrible. I guess that's not something that wrestlers should probably think about. But uh, that's definitely something that popped in my head because you got him in it like a million times. But either way, this is a fucking great match. Sonata is amazing. I mean, there's no one that has a style, not even Bushi, who was also trained uh, of, uh, you know, his his mentor, the great Muto, Keiji Muto, like Sonata. He just moves like him. Um, I still hate the Paradise Lock. Never going to get over that thing. But it was at least right away kind of doing it. Uh, as like a evil, just not paying attention basically to Sonata. It was whatever, but the match itself was, I think, awesome. I love that evil. So evil's been doing this thing where he fucking always throws the person into the garden rail or the garden rail uh, to the outside, right next to the timekeeper, and annihilates the timekeeper. He always has a big bump. This time they even had doctors come out and check on him, and they keep on bringing attention to this. And they put the guy back in place, and evil does it right again, anyways. So, uh, evil being evil, I don't know about him switching heel and being a part of Bullet Club is really resonating, but I did really like certain heel maneuvers that he did in this match. And Dick Togo trying to uh, take out Sonata at the end, uh, not working out too well for him, and Sonata got the win. 23-minute match. Chris, what did you think about evil and Sonata? I like the match a lot. It's just weird that Evil is a, is a heel now, or a true heel, I guess, going against his former teammate. And what a weird year for this guy, right? So he wins the he wins the biggest championship in, in Japan, and then drops it back and feuds with Sonata. It was, it was kind of just a wash for Sonata and Evil this entire year. I thought they were going to do really big things with Sonata. Um, obviously, the year was shortened, so it's kind of weird. But uh, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I, I'm glad that this. I think this feud is over, and I'm kind of glad because it'll let both of these guys move on to hopefully better things. Do you think? Well, actually, I just don't know. Like, is is Evil got the 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 not so great record of having the 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 shortest title run with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship? Because I see all the ones that flash up. I mean, maybe Bob Sapp held it for a short time. I don't know, but Evil like had it for what two months. That's got to be the shortest, right? Didn't, like, Flair win this fucking thing for, like, one day or something and just immediately drop it in America? <laughs> yeah, I actually have to look into that. I'm not 100% sure, but that would uh, that would make sense. Probably beating Fujinami or something. Yeah, I mean, this would have been, like, territory days, like, in the 70s. I think that maybe he has the shortest run <laughs> with, like, zero title defenses, if I'm remembering correctly. Evil's got to but... be close. Evil's definitely close. They they don't hotshot their title that often, especially in recent years. Let's go back, you know, let's say from Wrestle Kingdom 10 to now, uh, you haven't seen any kind of title reign like that that I can remember. Yep. So like I said, excellent I mean, match. It's not really saying much, though, because didn't Okada just hold it for like 800 days or some shit? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, the next match... IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, since Romu won the night before, he got to uh, come into this one at going against the champion, uh, Taji Ichimori, who I, I swear to God, if you... And I actually thought this back when he was in Impact, but when he had like the Lucha thing going on, he wore a mask. It's like, he's the same stocky little body size as Rey Mysterio. 
He's got that same fucking frame and build to him, but he's short, but he looks, I guess I'll use the uh, bully Ray thing. Maybe he's not a thumb, but he's like a, you know, a, a, a middle thing. I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say. Either way. He's, he's awesome. These guys have put on great matches before in the past. Uh, this one, I think more so Takahashi, uh, took some bumps that was like, ugh, I had to like look away, if you will, at certain points. But that's because, you know, this is the second person. Uh, now it's uh, Bullet Club. Uh, second Bullet Club person he's taken on. He, they obviously have a rivalry. So, um, yeah, it was it was a good match. And Takahashi ended up winning at the end. Hiromu is one of the most over people in New Japan and one of my favorite wrestlers from there. So uh, great seeing him win the junior heavyweight championship once again. What do you think, Chris? Very cool moment seeing him get the title back. I don't remember a lot about this match. I, I mean, I know I didn't dislike it, but I don't remember a lot about the match, if I'm being honest. i got to be honest with you. I didn't want to admit that, but I kind of was the same way. Like, I remember some stuff that was like, oh, God. But usually with even these matches... They can hold my attention and everything, but we go over so much wrestling that, like, the ones I really like, it takes a second viewing for me to remember exact spots. I think in 2021, and you do this, which is smart, and most people do do this, I'm going to try to start taking notes, especially if I have to a uh, second viewing so I can remember certain things to come back to. But, you know, that's, uh, that's the way it is, right? Yes. Uh, I mean... God, how much wrestling did we watch this week? We had two, like four hours on Wednesday, three hours on Monday, three hours for both of these New Japan shows. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a lot of matches to keep up. Watched Impact. Really? Yeah. So there was a lot of fucking wrestling this week, and this match. I mean, like I said, there's nothing. At least, at least I don't remember it for anything bad, but it was kind of just there for me. I, I did like seeing Hiromu get the title again. Yeah, I have to agree. It was it, that that was a nice part. Next match. This I think it's at least for me this one and uh, between this and Okada and Osprey for my favorite match for Wrestle Kingdom this last year. Uh, I could definitely see both of them. A couple there was a couple matches on different platforms uh, that could definitely. And me and you are going to maybe do this next year. Forget how great they were because they were in like the first fucking week for match of the year. Um, I would say those two matches I just said, this this main event with Abushi and White um, and also this, the, uh, the Osprey and Okada match. I think Omega and Phoenix was incredible. And I also thought that I don't think it would be match of the year, but the uh, we'll get to it, obviously. The uh, Kyle O'Reilly had a great fucking submission-based match with Finn Balor also. So... Good start for the year, I would say, with matches. And then, like I said, all the other great matches on the this card in specific. So, Kotobushi, Jay White, now turning into Goku, like, when, when, or, or not turning into him, but... So, when I make that comparison, it's it's because he's he's a super baby face, he's pure, but he's also... He wants to be the best fighter. He wants to be better than, than anyone. He wants to dominate... And there's also this mode that Kota Bushi goes, like he's going Super Saiyan, if you will. He did this with Tiger Mask W uh, at first, and you couldn't see his eyes as as well. So I think it even works better with Kota like this. But it's it's like he's hulking up, or it's like the Ultimate Warrior, where all of a sudden at some point he's possessed. The person's not doing any damage. He's not selling shit. 
and he just starts fucking annihilating someone. Him and Naito had that a bit. They definitely had it more in past matches when they were going more physical, when it wasn't so much respect as it was on the first night. But him and Jay White hate each other. Jay White's been talking so much trash. He took his fucking briefcase. Kota still was able to get to the main event of, of this. And it was all about being Jay White and not having the shortest reign of just one night like Kota potentially could have. And I think all of us knew that, that the outcome was going to be, if Jay White fucking won, I would have been pissed. I think everyone would have been furious. And it's not even against Jay White. Make no fucking sense. That would be a slap in the face. So we're going to see just a great journey of this babyface overcoming him. And Kota Abushi got his ass kicked for a majority of this match. Some involvement by Gato and just Jay taking complete advantage of it and just annihilating him. And then, like I said, then there's that switch. And then Abushi's, you know, you know, taking chops like they're nothing, shaking his head no, looking right in the eye. His eyes just look like a fucking maniac. He's one of the best sellers in the business, too, by the way. Just He just makes it look like stuff kills him. Uh, and some of it actually is because that probably does partially. So he's just really uh, extending that, that feeling. Um, but when that happened and that switch turned and he's fucking – he comes back with chops to Jay White, and Jay White just drops to a knee, and and he's just like, just so physical and so fucking mean, just grabbing him to do the, you know, uh, the kamaye, you know, just knee in the face, or just, oh god, it just, like, is there anyone? He he literally goes into Super Saiyan mode, Chris. Is there anyone nowadays that has that hulking up type of concept? Like a Kota Ibushi, where it's no sell, I'm going to fucking murder you. And then, you know, the baby face finally gets the advantage over the heel. By the way, he won. <laughs> we'll talk about the stuff with Jay White after. I mean, I guess Moxley, to some extent, kind of does this. Yeah. A little bit. It's like no selling and then having like a real good big baby face comeback. But yeah, there's not that many. I mean, Kenny Omega, to some extent, but it's different. I don't think anyone does it like Abushi to answer your question. Uh, this was Jay White's best match of his career, easily. This match was fucking incredible. Probably my favorite match of both nights, if I'm being completely honest. And I did not think it was going to be going into it. Uh, Jay White's a guy I completely turned around on. Because if we go back like three years ago, I just, I had, I had no love for this guy. <laughs> but. Uh, if I didn't already love him coming out of this match, my opinion on Jay White's completely changed. He may be one of the best heels in the business. Yeah. I don't think he's love, and now he's going to go away for a while, which kind of sucks. You have your best match, and now you're going to be gone um, for an extended period of time. They're calling him the hottest free agent once his contract's up. I mean, I think WWE's already offering this guy a fuck ton of money from yep. what we've been online. Man, there's just something about him in this match that gave me shades of like old school heel, like old school heel Ric Flair, almost just to some extent, like whether it was, uh, you know, jumping out of the ring at the beginning of the match, which he always does. And then and this is just the opening, but this is like kind of shit that I like psychology wise. You know, he's he pushes a bushy into the corner. The ref breaks it up and then immediately got like Gato trips Abushi. Like that's how he started the match. I was like, okay, I know where we're going to go with this. And like you said, I mean, he beat the absolute shit out of Abushi. Couldn't get the job done. And uh, man, even, even the end of this match where he's just clawing and scratching and 
trying to <laughs> trying to get to Ibushi in the titles after he had already lost. Uh, this was like a breakout performance for me with Jay White. I I think he has entered one of my current favorite wrestlers. Um, it just sucks that now he's going to be gone for a while. But there's nothing he can do about that because they're going to start putting travel restrictions back in Japan, from what I've heard, which is part mm-hmm. of the reason they set up this the way they did because obviously he doesn't live in Japan, so he's going to be gone for a while. Even if he does end up signing somewhere else, he is going to be gone for a while regardless. Yeah, and like you said, man, breakout performance for Jay White. I don't want to take anything away from Kota Bushi. I think that, and like I said, we'll kind of go into the uh, promo afterwards with Jay, but to close it up with the match, Kota Bushi, another uh, emotional ending with him, just being able to fucking get through night two, get through this hump. You know, this guy that fucking screwed him over before and having both titles. And now we go into the future with Kota Bushi as the IWGP heavyweight champion. Now, we know given the circumstance, there's not going to be a lot of him in there immediately uh, because of what we just talked about with Japan and stuff like that. But Kota Bushi going forward as their heavyweight champion, that's got to be a really good decision on New Japan if you're not going to have it on Naito or Okada. Yeah, I'm actually surprised it took as long to get there as it did. Because when they signed too. Him, when they signed him to that massive contract, I'm like, they're strapping the fucking rockets to this guy. And to some extent they did, but I assumed he was gonna win this fucking title last year. <laughs> if you know. Uh I, I think it's what did he say at the end of the match? He said he became a god. <laughs> which yep. I thought which harkens back to your Goku. Because <laughs> Goku can go to yep. God mode. Uh yeah, I don't know, man. This match was fucking incredible. I have nothing negative to say about this match. I can't think of one spot I didn't like in this match. This is one of the best Wrestle Kingdom matches, I, at least of the past two years. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I'm definitely going to go back and watch this one again. I, like I said, I've, I was able to watch the Osprey, uh, Okada, and then the um, Ibushi... Uh, uh, which we call it uh, Tana or Tanahashi Naito match again, but I was like, man, I need to get to night two. That didn't happen. You know, I just wanted to rewatch them because I liked them so much. That's one thing that's great about good matches from some of these companies, other than than others. I'll just leave it at that. But uh, yeah, afterwards, so now Jay White, you know, now that we're done talking about Kota Ibushi, and I, by the way, I, I I sent you that comparison. It's like. I, there's a certain character, and I can't figure it out. It's not a wrestler that his cadence and his voice and the way that he comes off. Like I, I joked and said, Tom Hiddleston's Loki, but it's not actually that person. I can't put my finger on it. But Jay White's like, like I like I joked, is like uh, you know Triple H back in the day mixed with Tom Hiddleston's uh, Loki. Uh, um, but yeah, so apparently he's going to be the big free agent. We don't know if this is all bullshit. He's resigning with New Japan, but the promo that he set off. The work shoot brother brother promo afterwards at the press conference said he was done. He's fucking quitting. So uh, yeah, interesting way of going about it. Jay White is definitely one of those guys that if he's on the market, he's going to be uh, top person. People are going to want to grab. WWE's already thinking about or has already made an offer. Uh, you could see a lot of people jumping on him. WWE that 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 concept scares me. Uh, because I think that he would be one of the best. Like, probably, if he goes to NXT, he'll be up there with the Ballers and Adam Coles, I think, as far as a champion, very off the bat, great heel out there. 
I just get scared of him going to the main roster and getting destroyed. Um, who knows? Maybe Hunter will see a lot of himself in Jay and like that aspect about him. But I don't know. Uh, it's 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 dicey that way. AEW, I, I don't know if I necessarily want him to go to AEW because they're pretty stacked right now. So I don't know if there's a lot of room for him. Uh, and there's definitely a conflict. Like, what's, what, he's supposed to go against Kenny Omega, and they're both heels. Like, I don't want to see Jay White as a fucking babyface. Join his, his like, this new Bullet Club-esque AEW branch. I don't know if I want that either. So I don't know what Jay does. If I was him, honestly, Chris, they for his age... For as much experience as he's had, he's already had the fucking heavyweight championship in that company. He's a great heel. He's the current leader in Bullet Club, which is a very prestigious title, I would say, since past it's been, what, Finn Balor, Kenny Omega, and fucking AJ Styles? So keep it the way it is. Extend your contract. Uh, New Japan, give him more money. And don't let him go to WWE. But if he goes to WWE, NXT will be great. Main roster, I don't know if that would be a good fit for him. I have no problem with him going to WWE with the caveat that he needs to pull, like, the Kenny Omega card, where, you know, when it, when we were at the 11th hour, I think it was before, was it WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble, when Kenny's contract was up, before he re-signed that one-year deal with New Japan, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, he needs to make that same thing where he's like, I want to be a big part of this. They should bring him in. Like they brought in AJ styles. I, I don't think the guy needs to go to NXT. I can't think of a single reason why Jay White would need to be in NXT. Um, and if you want him to have a huge impact on the main roster, don't put him on NXT for a year and a half and then bring him to the main roster kind of half heartedly when it doesn't matter. And you don't have anything to guide for the guy to do. Like you would need to bring him in and have him make a huge impact right off the bat. Because we've already seen what happens. I mean, they have great wrestlers at NXT. And as soon as they get the main roster, they don't know what the fuck to do with him. So instead of starting him in NXT, just fucking start him on the main roster and have something for this guy to do day one. Now, that being said, I don't necessarily think he's going anywhere. Um, but, I mean, those are rumors that are out there, the contract rumors like we talked about earlier. The promo was great. I think he showed a lot of emotion. Like a range of emotion from being, like, completely like broken that he lost this match. He he loses all the big matches, right? Basically is the gimmick to anger, to sadness, to fuck it. I'm just so disappointed with myself. I quit. I mean, it was, it was great. It's easily his best promo, best match. Like I said, definitely a breakout moment for me. And, and not that Jay White's been bad over the past, you know, two or three years, but this would, like I said, this shoves him into my list of, of favorite wrestlers right now. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I thought it was very funny. I was watching the after show, or I wasn't watching. I was listening to at work the after show for AEW Dynamite that Tony Schiavone does, and he randomly asks people just appear in the room and they'll 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 start talking and shit. And MJF came in there to berate it and talk shit about not only well him and Ricky Starks came in to talk shit about Tony and also the fans. But uh, MJF asked fans to talk to him, and one guy said. One guy said uh, it was like on the lines of like, um, uh, what do you think about Jay White, MJF? I think he's one of the best uh, heels in the business along with you. And he was like, who the fuck is Jay White? <laughs> Just so MJF-esque. It was great. Um, so I definitely I definitely liked it. <laughs> I love MJF's gimmick where he doesn't believe he's a heel. He's like, I'm fucking salt of the earth. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> 
Oh, God. All right. Let's go over the uh, rest of the stuff. We got a lot to talk about. I don't know. We might have to figure this out since we – I loved our conversation, Chris, on uh, New Japan, but we're almost two hours in, and we've only talked about Wrestle Kingdom. So uh, maybe, maybe uh, I don't know, do the, uh, the, the WWE stuff on the next show if we can maybe work that out tomorrow if you're not doing anything. Um, yeah, we're doing the scheduling live on air, okay? We wanted to give you guys good content, but I don't want to give you a six-hour show. I want to be able to go into detail about stuff I like. Um, would you want to do that, Chris? Like, we'll go over SmackDown and NXT on the tomorrow and review those? Yeah, that's fine. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Okay. Well, if that's the case, we're going to go over the Impact stuff right now. I'll just give, like, the couple matches, but we'll actually review it tomorrow with that second show. Um, you know, since we'll be able to, to watch it or at least go over the results of it. Um, I'm just going to guys, guys, I'm, I'm not going to go over the whole entire card. It, this is a, this got some great matches. I'm, I'm sure Eddie Edwards and Sammy Callahan's millionth match supposed to be the last one to end all a barbed wire massacre match. I don't know what the fuck that means. It's going to be uh, pretty uh, dirty and grimy and everything that Jim Cornette would bitch about. I think that's it's 15 million time. I brought up his name on this podcast, but it's probably going to be pretty awesome. They have great chemistry, and I, I, I've really enjoyed Eddie Edwards kind of getting out of just being a, a great tag team wrestling technical guy that's that's fast and kind of becoming this uh, this new Tommy Dreamer uh, since he was the protege to Tommy for for a minute in this hardcore way. So him and him and Sammy always put on great matches. Uh, I'm also really looking to forward to Manic, who is actually TJP, the champion of the uh, X Division. Going against Chris Bay and Rahit Raju. Uh, really love Chris Bay. Uh, Deanna Prazo, uh, who is the uh, Impact Knockout Champion. She will be going against Taya Valkyrie. Um, and there's other matches, so check out the card if you guys would like. We'll go over the matches tomorrow individually on our second recording. But the match everyone's talking about that I was very surprised AEW did not um, promote or Don Costa didn't, didn't say anything about. It seems like that would be smart for both of them to kind of keep on going with the storyline of them developing as their old school uh, Bullet Club-like team. Um, but we got the elite, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson, Doc Gallows, with Don Callis going against Rich Swan and the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin. I am really looking forward to this match. There's many reasons. Kenny and, and, and Rich, which I think we'll get an individual match soon in the future, Maybe he pins Rich tonight, and that builds that up because I think Kenny's taking that impact title for a time period. That's my prediction, at least. But them tangling up will be great. But obviously, Kenny, all-around worker, I want to see him go against you know, Alex Shelley and Chris Saban. I think that's going to be fucking awesome. And I love the Good Brothers. Carl Anderson's an amazing wrestler. He's already had, uh, I think, awesome matches. Uh, he had a great one with Chris Saban not too long ago. And just, you know... And, and Doc Ellis, a big guy. I love that. I am going to predict that the Young Bucks are going to make an appearance and take out the Motor City Machine Guns, prompting something with them uh, to help out Kenny and the Good Brothers. And Kenny is inevitably going to One Wing Angel, Rich Swan, which is going to maybe come to a match, like I said, in the next couple of weeks or next pay-per-view for Impact, where Kenny takes that title off of Rich Swan. I think that's... The route they're going, I don't know that by any type of source or anything like that. That's just, you know, what they presented on AEW with now this new team. I'll just call them the elite because some people get pissy if you call them Bullet Club. Because they're not in New Japan. Okay, all of them are either supreme 
members of the original incarnation or fucking from the original incarnation like Carl Anderson. And I'm just not going to get into it. People are fucking dumb. Um, they need to have they need to have Tongans in it. I agree with that, but they also are supposed to be all gaijin, you fucking idiots. Anyways, but I think it's going to be an awesome match, Chris. This is what I'm getting down to. Are you looking forward to the pay per view tonight? Mainly, what do you think about this match and my predictions of of stuff playing themselves out? What's the name of this pay per view? By the hard way? to kill, hard to kill. So, man, uh, I mean, I guess the biggest thing is is Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers versus, you know, Motor City Machine Guns and Rich Swan. I mean, that's the thing I'm looking the most forward to, if I'm being completely honest. Um, there's some other good things on the on the card. I don't I mean, the prediction for me is that, you know, you can't have Kenny Omega lose here. So I'm assuming that he's going to, you know, win. Um, Do you think he's taking out Rich, though, and pinning him to kind of prompt a, a heavyweight match for the belt? You would you would have to think so. I have absolutely no interest in the Eddie Edwards versus Sam Cal- Sammy Callahan match just because I feel like we've already seen it. I mean, I know they're doing like a times, but I'm kind of over that feud. Uh, the Diana Perrazzo match with with Ty Valkyrie that should be fun uh, for the Impact Women's Championship or Knockouts Champion. I hate saying Knockouts. It's just so just call it the Women's Champion. Um, did I miss anything? No, I was kind of more or less just talking about the main event itself. I mean, there's other stuff. We'll go over all the matches tomorrow. Uh, there's really one that I'm not looking forward to that I, I don't know why Ethan Page agreed to. Um, but we'll see that play out tonight. Uh, just because I think never, I'm not going to even go into it. But anyways, I really think the Bucks are getting involved. And I really think the Bucks are going to take out Motor City Machine Guns in this match and fuck them over to get something going on. I feel like they could be making an appearance. Yeah, I could easily see them doing that as well. I mean, it would make sense after the way they ended AEW on Wednesday. I'll mark the fuck out. I will mark the fuck out if that happens. I, I'm going to mark out too because it's been... I don't remember the last time Motor City Machine Guns wrestled the Young Bucks, but I, for me, I, it's been at least 10 years. It would have been on Impact or one of the, the pay-per-views for TNA when the Young Bucks were there. So we're talking like... A long ass time since I seen them cross paths, and that was a great fucking match. So, if they're building towards that, I'm I'm super stoked for that possibility. Well, and, and not only that, it's like every so they have a couple. They'll they'll go into segments from old shows, and I get it. You're you're getting some new eyes back on your product because of the involvement with AEW. So you want to show like this used to be TNA. You know, this is who we've had in here. But every fucking week, Chris, they play. The wrestling uh, ladder match, which is amazing, with the machine guns against the Bucks and them beating them. The one where they had the table literally set up on top of the ladders and they were fighting on top of that. Um, I just think that's kind of weird that they keep on putting that in our head with Young Bucks losing to the Motor City Machine Guns. Uh, They also always play the Bully Ray uh, fucking over Hulk Hogan thing. And then what's the other one? Oh, Sting uh, tagging with uh, Christian as the first appearance. Which makes sense, but to me, it's weird that you 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 always show the end of Motor City Machine Guns beating the Young Bucks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, good call. I didn't even think about that. I tend to skim through that stuff because I most of those matches I've seen a bazillion times. Thank you, Pluto TV, because y'all just show the same shit, uh, <laughs> which yep. I do appreciate. But I've seen the majority of those matches, so I just kind of skim through them when they're there. 
but yeah, it, I could agree with you. They definitely, uh, they definitely seem like they're um, going the route of giving us that match. I just don't know how they get there because, like, I don't know. It looks like they're setting up John Moxley versus Omega again, and he's going to have to have some kind of team to back him up. I would assume that that would involve you know Darby and Sting, maybe Cody, and then. It would just be weird. The Motor City Machine Guns kind of shoveled in there. I don't. I just don't know how you get there. Is the biggest question. But I would love to fucking see that match. Well, let's hope that maybe it happens. Um, you know. Uh, but well, what what was I going to say? I, I think that Hard to Kill is going to be fun. I'm going to watch tonight. You know, there's going to be stuff that I'm not a big fan on it. There's going to be stuff I do like about it, but Impact's involvement does intrigue me to try to keep up at least with the storylines going on. That main event, though, is going to be fucking awesome. So whatever happens, even if there's no bucks, um, it's still going to be a pretty damn good in-ring match. Um, Yeah, but let's move on. I think I'm going to take an audible and save the Raw rant. Should I save the Raw rant for tomorrow and just make it all wrestling for WWE-related stuff, or should I do that right now? What do you think, Chris? Are are you just going to say burnt to a crisp? A lot like Brian Alvarez, because if so, we can go ahead and get that out of the way. <laughs> I just want to say how, yeah, I'll, I'll, we're not going over the whole entire card, but you are right, you have Legends Night, and unfortunately, even based on what happened, which a lot of wrestling fans groaned, this did get audience members, and also we're talking about, you know, Chris brought this up before we went live. Uh, Monday Night Football is not on anymore, so you don't have that competition, but it it definitely shows to the company. That if you get legends on the show like this, we get old viewers back. They want to see Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair way out of their fucking prime walking around. And it's annoying because you know that WWE has built WWE as a brand. They don't want a wrestler that they have to rely on anymore. They want everyone kind of stay a certain way, but it just gets so overshadowed. And I, I'm i going to go into the Mustafa Ali stuff, too, uh, after we talk about this initial point. Of the talent that you already have with the roster, it, it completely just, who cares about any of them? They, they, they look like peons. My biggest problem with it, or my biggest problems with it, you have people like Mark Henry and The Big Show and fucking Ric Flair, which I get it. He's not Hulk Hogan because he was from the other brand. It's Ric Flair. He's one of the greatest fucking wrestlers of all time. Arguably the greatest overall wrestler of all time, I would say. And many say. And what is he there to do? He's there to accidentally fuck over his daughter so she can bitch him out for the five millionth fucking time, not cut any type of promo Ric Flair-like, and then go back and get berated by Randy Orton, who's now getting more heat when he does not need heat. To me, this type of heat is fuck you, Randy Orton heat, which is not what he needs. That's what he's had plenty of times. You know, it's like, why is he being used to punk all these legends? The big show. Mark Henry, who happened to be injured, but they asked him to come in, and I'm assuming, you know, that bike thing, uh, he was like, oh, this is great, you're retired, ah, you know. I just think it was unnecessary. If you wanted to heal to really get over, you should have used someone outside of Randy Orton to do something like that with at least one of them. He fucking strangled, he put his hands around Big Show's neck, and Big Show didn't do shit. He told Mark Henry to fucking pedal off. You know, I, I, I just didn't think it was necessary. I'm sorry, I have a problem with them glorifying Hulk Hogan 
Like, I'm sure Drew liked doing that promo with him, and he definitely put him over. But I, I think it's, I think it sucks that I know Rick has had some shady stuff in the past. I'm not going to say that, but Hulk Hogan's fucking way more relevant, and they never really addressed it. They just like let it go, and at the end, you know, you have this great match with Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre. He he beats Keith Lee. It was a, it was a damn good match between two men. I will give him that. And then Goldberg comes out, and you have all the legends sitting there clapping him like he's the greatest thing fucking ever. And I understand. I really third biggest star probably in the Attitude Era, arguably after Austin The Rock. But it's like they act like he's the god of WCW. Listen to me. Hogan, Sting, DDP, Savage had a lot of big guys. Goldberg's reign was great, built up great, but I just don't understand the infatuation with them. I know they ran out of time, but I hated that it ended with Goldberg pushing the champion on his ass and also saying that he fucking disrespect he was disrespectful of the legends. Did you watch fucking Randy Orton? Like what what the hell are you talking about? Made no sense. I have no interest in a Drew McIntyre Goldberg match. I'm not saying that they can't have a match like Brock and Goldberg short, but to the point, put Drew McIntyre over, but I think it's unnecessary. And I, I just don't need it. It actually made more sense for Goldberg and Roman Reigns. And maybe they were like, well, Roman's bigger than Drew, so we got to split it out between the two of them. But they were supposed to have a match. Roman had to you know, leave due to the pandemic and his uh, problems prior with leukemia and his, uh, his immune system being down. So I get that. That would have made more sense. The Battle of the Spears. Goldberg's a babyface. Roman fucking destroys him. You know, he killed Goldberg. But this, I don't care about. I thought it was disrespectful, especially to Ric Flair. I thought it fucking sucked. And then I love the work shoot promo that Mustafa Ali cut on the after show. Um, I'm sure that they told him, you know, a roundabout idea of, of what they wanted him to do. And he kind of went out there and, and kind of laid it in about it. And it's supposed to be his character. And I like Mustafa Ali a lot. Um, I actually like him like this, but I wish he was by himself. He doesn't need the rest of that fucking whatever group retribution like i'd love to see him just by himself and kind of channel more of like the cm punkish type of attitude about everything um and he was right you know what he said regardless if it was a completely worked promo or whatever that involved it that had a little bit from him within there that was all everyone knew about it whatever it wasn't a shoot at all it still was true and if it was written for him why the fuck would they write that type of stuff if they know that this is this is like diminishing returns you got two, 2.3 million viewers, but is this really going to fucking help you down the road? Bringing back legends way out of their prime. Some of them are in the background, like Mickey James, who's a part of the fucking roster, and Tatanka and Sergeant Slaughter, who are just there in the backdrop. Melina, they're in the backdrop. Uh, you know, with Lucha House Party. It just, it was stupid, pointless. I hated it, and it doesn't help anything for WWE. Thank you for continuing to fuck up Raw for me. There, I'm done. What, what, what do you think, Chris? Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on the limb and say that I agree with you. <laughs> it's they do this. They they but they've been doing this for so like so often. Haven't they already done like two Legends nights this? Well, I guess this is the new year, but then they do two last year. Very similar with Brandon. Yeah, they they had, so, that reminds me. They had the one where Austin came out at the end. And they. They, Austin gave him the idea of what he wanted to do and they were like, nah, just go out there and just talk and then he started talking about the weird time him and Gerald Briscoe got fucked up in Africa 
And then they like made them go home, and he was like, oh, goodbye, you guys have a good one. You know, just, yeah, they've had two Legend Nights last year. That was like the best part of the Legend Night, was <laughs> Austin just sharing drunken roast. Cheryl Briscoe, you son of a bitch. Uh, I, I'm just over it, and I have no want to see Goldberg. Well, I don't want to see Goldberg in general, but I definitely don't want to see him go against Drew McIntyre because they're both baby faces. You're not going to turn. And Goldberg if he wins, <laughs> you, and you can't. That's the thing is like if McIntyre wins, aren't people just going to be disappointed? Like the fans of Goldberg, aren't they just going to be sad that Drew McIntyre kicks this guy's head off? Well, they can fuck off, you know, to me. But... <laughs> but I mean, that should be the match. The bell rings. Goldberg just immediately tries to go for the spear and gets his fucking head kicked off. Like that's that's all they need to oh, do after awesome. like after seeing him wrestle Undertaker. Like, I have no want to watch this guy work. And uh, if you're gonna try to do a serious match, you need to have Paul Heyman book this fucking thing because he's the only person that's been able to have a good match with Goldberg in WWE. And that's even going back to Goldberg's first run there. So, I and in the legends they brought back, it's always the same characters. Orton doesn't need this heat. I mean, he just burnt a man to death. <laughs> you know what I mean? I snorted. I snorted. How can how can you get more heat on a guy that just murdered a guy in the middle of the ring? Like he's trying to torch Alexa Bliss, who's playing a twelve-year-old girl character. At this point, like, I don't think that Orton needs to tell Mark Henry to pedal off. <laughs> it also doesn't even make sense because Bray Wyatt was killing these legends as well, like, not that long ago and hanging their photos up behind him. So it's <laughs> like, they, I mean, they could have done a million things with these legends. I don't know that Orton needed to get more heat at this point. He's obviously their top heel right now on Raw. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> So why does Orton, Orton just kill the guy? He doesn't need heat by being a dick to like Flair and Big Show and Mark Henry and those guys. Well, but yeah, I'm just gonna. This, oh, sorry. This, no, I was just gonna say to finish this off. This fucking sucked. That's that's usually how I sum up shows like this. I'm gonna just take it to the old skit from In Living Color with Jamie Foxx and David Allen Greer. When they're reviewing movies, hated it. Let's move on. I, did, I will. I, will, I would shout out to Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre because the match they had was actually pretty good. But I had to sit through like three hours of bullshit. Also, shout out to Mickey James, looking foxy as ever. Uh, Beautiful. Please wrestle again. The fuck. God, could you imagine you're out of it and being able to go back and forth between NWA and fucking. Uh, AEW, basically like a lot of the women are doing from that division, and you know, being able to work with her husband instead of wasted for the last couple of years of her her prime, basically. Yeah, that would be fucking great. I would love to see her go against like Eva Lee and uh, fucking Thunder Rosa, even Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker. Like I don't know, utilize her as. You know, the Hall of Famer she is, that would be a good way to use her. Yeah, use her like fucking Impact uses Gail Kim. Like, she's an excellent legend for the female wrestlers in wrestling in general. And, ugh, so stupid. Uh, what are you going to do, Chris? 
There was one quick note I wanted to make about Austin since he did get brought up. Uh, he came out this week and said there is no chance for him ever returning to the ring. It kind of left it ended for years. But I think this is like the definitive answer. Austin's not coming back anytime. Now, I saw that, but here's the thing. I, you know, if you listen to his shows, he he's kind of been saying that for a long time. Like, I mean, he's literally been asked in questions from fans, you know, on his show, will you come back to wrestling? He's like, I, guys, I'm done. I mean, I think the biggest thing people don't realize is that, yes, we have modern mes- medicine techniques. He's in great shape. You know, I, I'm I'm sure that if they were safe about it, they could do something. You know, if you were to have done something, it would have been him and Punk back in the day, because it could be similar to Sting gets in the ring with someone. They can make it. They can work around his problems. Austin has a similar complex, like Sean does. He doesn't want to go in there and be, you know, half himself. And he already knew that the last couple of years, his most popular. You know, he couldn't do anything anyways as much in the ring because of his injury uh, from that tombstone from Owen Hart. Um, so he wasn't able to be the best technical person. He had to be more of a brawler. So now you're even taking away time and, you know, he's older for him being a brawler, which potentially could, you know, get completely crippled by one maneuver. So I think people need to stop wanting that and uh, just focus on the future. I wish that Austin, if you were to do something with him in WWE, uh, commissioner would be fucking amazing. Him bringing it up and fucking like what AEW does, you know, him advocating for another talent and trying to help them out a little bit. That would be great too, but I don't think you'll ever see Austin in the ring. Uh, it just, it's over. It's, it's like Hogan. Hogan can't even do the fucking leg drop anymore, guys. You know, his spine's compressed. So, it just it's let's even if Sting all he does is um, the uh, the cinematographer cinematic matches it, that's because he can't either Undertaker you know let these guys retire Austin had to cut his career short unfortunately very much like Arn Anderson because of a neck issue and it's never going away I mean would you would you want to see him way out of his prime old and crippled I I don't think I want to I'm not talking to you Chris I'm just talking to you know, Austin fans in general that really want him to come back still. The only match I want to see Austin in is uh, a rematch in the supermarket against uh, Booker T. <laughs> That's I feel no, like I'm they, down for that. <laughs> uh, Definitely it, down for that. He's just beating the shit out of Booker T with like two liters of soda and shit. <laughs> let's do that. If you're going to bring him back to, for a match, let's do that. Maybe maybe that'll pop off, and he'll be like, "Hell yeah, I'd come back and beat the shit out of Booker T again." What, <laughs> dude? I, I thought the perfect situation, and it's never gonna happen. It was it was off a meme a couple years back, but uh, an ultimate thing. And I mean, it does prove to the rule of getting legends involved that that you know gets people's uh, eyes to the product. It wouldn't work because one of them is too busy. But the ultimate commissioners, or something that would be a huge thing to watch, Raw and SmackDown is if you brought back commissioners and they were Austin on fucking Raw and The Rock on SmackDown. The two shows they basically made in the, in the late 90s uh, warring with each other of who's the best, basically. And you could have them still having promos back and forth and feuding with each other, but they don't have to get in the fucking ring. The only problem is Austin does want to just chill and do his shows and stuff like that, and The Rock is so involved in Hollywood and everything else he's doing. But... If I were to just say fantasy booking, obviously, I think that would be the ultimate way to have Austin a part of it. 
Yeah, and it makes it even greater because you can, if you wanted to do like an invasion type thing where it's show versus show, Triple H has an XT. So, yeah. Um, oh, there's a good point too. That's like, you know, if you wanted to go that route, you definitely could. I, I think that would be fucking fun. But that being said, I really, we, we probably haven't given him enough credit, but Adam Pierce has been great in this kind of commissioner role that he's yes. been put on SmackDown. I think he's been doing a great job. I completely agree with you. All right, let's get into our last show. We're going to be going over. Uh, this is uh, AEW Dynamite from this last week. Now, this was supposed to happen, at least the first uh, half of New Year's Smash was supposed to happen last week, but because of the show with Brody Lee, um, you know, that 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 changed things. I just want to say going back to that, uh, because I don't think we really got to speak about this. We, we, we got to speak about the passing of him, but... Uh, the show itself, the the tribute show, beautiful job. Uh, the best tribute, I would say, um, to a person, period, for wrestling. And everything Tony Khan's doing in the wrestling community itself is amazing. And what I mean by that is Tony signed um, young Brody Lee Jr. Um, to a contract. So if he wants to start when he's 18, he has that availability. But basically, he just... Since the situation of how wrestling is, that's like, you know, somewhat of a retirement plan, if you will, for, for, for John to help out the family, that he's going to be paying this kid a certain amount for the next several years. And if he wants to, which he is actually in wrestling right now in school, um, he has that option. So I think that was awesome. I think it was awesome of CM Punk to start a trend with a lot of wrestlers by uh, giving all the uh, the money for uh, this last month and, and, and this month of January from Pro Wrestling Tees to the Huber family. Uh, Mick Foley would do it as well, several others. And also AEW, their merch sales for those shirts uh, go towards that family. And, you know, I just think that, that what people have done with this whole entire situation is great. And keeping the kid's mind off of stuff. Obviously, I feel so bad for his wife, Amanda, too. But, you know, the, seeing the son, he pinned Kenny Omega and got the titles, you know, in that video that was made for his dad on his deathbed to be able to watch, uh, to bring a smile to his face. And the fact that, you know, he uh, he pinned Adam Cole at that big party they had. I'll even say, and, and, and his, his widow said this, too, get off WWE basically so much because, you know, John wasn't working with them. It didn't work out at the end, but they did do a big tribute uh, video of having everyone talk that they put on uh, their website and stuff like that and a lot of stuff like that. I know a lot of people wanted something on there, but I kind of, to an extent, get it. I think a 10-bell salute would have been nice, but you know, putting the stuff out there of, of, of the RIP, addressing it, talking about it, allowing the wrestlers to go out, not getting mad about wrestlers going with AEW or videos getting out, not giving a shit about it, really working with them, uh, sending their condolences to her directly. I guess Vince got a hold of her. You know, AEW did a great job. I'm just saying it. this is what it is. It's a terrible circumstance. But I think the wrestling community, like I said, did a good job. And I love seeing him rolling around with Liv Morgan and, and Tyson Kidd and Nat, Natalia. You know, Tyson really wants to help him out. Cody really wants to help him out wrestling. If you got people like that in the industry, this kid really has the potential to be great. The stuff he did with Marco Stunt. I didn't like Marco commenting about everyone else on Dark having to watch this kid when it's like, Marco, you fucking can barely cut a promo yourself and you're five-year-old 
or at least look like one. But having that rivalry, the kid cut a great promo that Tony Khan said that he wrote, that he just kind of helped him a little bit with some of the wording, but it was all from him. For eight years old, man, it's terrible what happened with his dad, but I'm happy that they're doing so much, going so out of their way as a company to try to help out the situation. So I'll just leave it at that. Chris, what'd you think? Easily the greatest tribute show that's ever been produced in wrestling. Probably the best episode of wrestling on TV of all of last year. Very touching. It was great seeing Eric Rowan make a run in. Um, the tribute video with Tom Waits' old 55 or top of it. I mean, that was heartbreaking to watch. Because I didn't watch this live. I think you sent me, you're like, dude, I can't. <laughs> you were like, I can't even do this right now. I had like 16 people message me about it because I was I had something I had to do, so I ended up watching it the next day. Um, but man, what a touching episode! And, and it is great to see all of these wrestlers come together um, on this show and give their absolute best. I mean, like one of Colt Cabana's best matches in AEW, if not his best match in AEW. Um, they let the Dark Order win yep. a lot, like. The little, like, uh, was it, God, I can't think of his name now. He's on BTE. He had, like, the Brody Lee. John like, Silver. The, John Silver, the full gear. And he just, like, absolutely broke down after that match. Like, watching Brody's kid hit fucking <laughs> MJF as hard as he could with a kendo stick. Uh, MJF's comments after the show was, fuck that kid on Twitter. <laughs> which, <laughs> <laughs> I love how people went off him. It's like, dude. He is just not breaking fucking character. He is old school about this. That was all set up. The kid knew, obviously, he had a fucking kendo stick. He's getting heat, but he's not going to change characters. And what's he going to get for it? His comeuppance. That's what you do in that situation. Like, God, people are fucking sensitive. <laughs> yeah, it's not like MJF like really hates this kid, guys. Calm down. Um <laughs> I mean, it was just a very touching show, and I had absolutely no problem with the way WWE handled it. I mean, I think they could have probably done a video package as opposed to just the opening photo. They you know, should they, have put the one they put on YouTube on their on the actual product, I think. Yeah, and, and I think, but that's the thing about WWE is they believe that social media is very, very important. So most of their tribute and touching stuff was on social media or the WWE network. I mean... For people mad, if you go to the WWE Network, they made, like, his top matches and put it, like, right there for you so you could go through and watch all of those, like, the same day. So, I mean, while they could have probably done it better, it's not like they've handled deaths worse. You know what I mean? Especially if the person was working at a different company. Like, there was nothing that WWE did that was too terrible. And also, you know, keep in mind, I don't know how much... Well, I guess Tony Khan wouldn't have had a problem with it, but you know, if WWE made this big tribute to a guy that was signed under contract for them, there could be legal ramifications. I don't think that would have been the case, but you know, Vince. And My WCW, biggest thing, like a bazillion, relating to that, you know, what you just said, basically. Regardless of that, how do you think fans would have reacted? Is if they did a big package on Raw and undercut? the the show basically or to a lot of people that would have looked at undercutting the fucking actual show for AEW Dynamite. You know what I'm saying? Think about all the fucking people that would have been bitching if Raw did do something big and then, you know, oh well ABAW, they're doing it on Wednesday. You just try to take away from their tribute show. Like, 
people just can't be happy. It's yeah. That I mean, that's that. That's the actual answer: is people just can't be happy, and it's it's a, a terrible, unfortunate situation. AEW did enough tribute to last a bazillion years for this guy. I mean, I think, like I said, I think this is the greatest tribute show I've ever seen. It was incredible. I mean, all the matches were good. Everyone worked really hard. You get some very emotional promos from guys like Moxley and and Kingston that aren't really in character. Um, yeah, just heartbreaking, but it was, I mean, Tony Khan just crying at the very end in the middle of the ring was gut-wrenching and putting his boots in the middle of the ring. Like I said, just a very touching, touching wrestling show and definitely my favorite wrestling show of last year. It it was, it was incredible to watch. I'm not going to say like it was better than every pay-per-view I've ever seen or anything, but as far as like an episodic thing, easily the best show of last year. And you could tell all the guys were really touched and tried very hard from top to bottom. And I, I don't know, man, it was great. And I, like, I, when Eric Rowan showed up, I popped so hard and then immediately started crying. I'm like, fucking this poor guy. <laughs> this sucks. Yeah, it was, it was rough. It was definitely rough, but, uh, good stuff. You know, like I said, at least there was a lot of good that came out of it. Just horrible situation, but, Let's. Oh, and um, fuck you, Bruce Mitchell. Eat a dick. Put your head in the toilet. Ring it about ten times. Go fuck yourself. There. That's all I got to say about that. Um. All right. So yeah, New Year's Smash. Uh, we have the results for it. The first match of the night were the Young Bucks. Uh, still as baby baby faces. Who knows if that will last longer? And SCU going against the acclaimed and the Hybrid Two. Um, I thought this was an excellent match, Chris, uh, for, you know, being a four on four tag match. Those can go two ways. They can either go somehow really well like this. It's kind of like a battle Royal. Like once in a while you get like something that's really great. Just storytelling is great. Everyone's getting their shit in, but it's still like flowing. Well, it's not just overly ridiculous. And then sometimes they can just be terrible. Um, but I think this was a really good one. So we have a new concept with SCU. Uh, I'm glad they're finally bringing the waiting room, which is Rich Baker's segment uh, show that she's been doing on AEW Dark. They're bringing that finally to the first episode will be on AEW Dynamite next week because I think it's really she does a really good job. She talks shit. Rebel sits on a chair, has a really obnoxious laugh, and they have guests. Uh, they've had Marco Stunt was was funny on there because they just berated him. They had uh, they've had a bunch of people in the past, and this last week they had Christopher Daniels. Frankie Kazarian and both of them, especially Frankie, cut probably one of the best promos in a very long time about their 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 thing. Daniels is down and out. He basically wants to take a break, if not indefinitely, from wrestling. I don't know if that's in real life or if that's just in storyline, but he's just he's done with it. And Frankie's like, you're not just fucking leaving basically this group. You know, we're a team. How about this? We'll keep on going and we'll get those damn titles. But if we lose once you know, SCU as a tag team is done. And that is the thing that they put in place. So I think, I think Frankie's great and I'm looking forward to a solo career. If Christopher Daniels wants to take time off, he, he has been wrestling for a long time. People don't realize he's about the same age as Chris Jericho. He was just lesser known in his early career, um, over Mexico and whatnot, uh, as Curry man and, and, and other different promotions, um, throughout the nineties. But, 
you know, if he wants to take a fucking break, he can take a fucking break. His body, you you can tell by his walking and certain things. He can still do an amazing moonsault, but he's sore. You can just you can tell uh, it's taking a toll on him. So if he wants to if he wants to take a break, that's great. And Frankie, I think, will do great in singles. I could easily see him as a TNT champion. Um, I'd love to see him as a world heavyweight, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that just because of who they have, uh, you know, as, as a top, I feel like your hangman pages will eventually get there. Your, you know, we've already talked about Moxley's in the picture. There's other people, but I would love to see Frankie challenge Nick Aldis for the NWA title. I don't know how that would play out, but I love Nick as a champion, but if there's one person, I think that could carry that belt to the level that Nick did and maybe even surpass it. Even if it's for a shorter amount of time, it would be Frankie Kazarian. I love Frank Kazarian, but I don't know if you saw this on AEW Dark. You you heard them bring it up in commentary. How do you feel about this concept that SEU in a singles match and they would go on to kind of challenge the Bucks, saying we want a fucking shot at that in the future? That looks like that could be their death note. You know, Daniels taking time off, uh, maybe retiring and going behind scenes, uh, and Frankie Kazarian getting singles uh, if they have one loss as a tag team. Yeah, I thought the promo between those two guys on Dark, I actually did watch that, was phenomenal. And I like the, the where they're going with the storyline is very much the Ric Flair retirement yep. story. Um, I, I think it's going to be good because they don't do DQ finishes in AEW. So you can give them a big run. And uh, now that the Young Bucks are heels... When when he eventually loses to the Dastardly Bucks or FTR or whoever it may be, um, it should be great. And it's not like it's going to throw Kazarian like out the window or anything. Kazarian's been amazing this year in every match he's had. There's tons of stuff for him to do. And also Scorpio, Scorpio Sky is still there. So you can still do SCU with those two if you wanted to as a tag team. Um, it's just kind of crazy to think Daniels might be hanging it up. But God, I've been watching the guys since I don't know 2003. When I guess the first time I ever saw him work was like 2002, 2003, and an absolute legend. If he is hanging it up, then uh, Hall of Famer in my book, especially in like Impact. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they better put him in the Hall of Fame immediately if that happens and i'm sure if, if if he does retire and don Callis is running the place i'm scott scott demore has been there fucking forever so he knows how big daniels has been a star that would probably happen next year i would assume even if he takes a long long extended break with the potential to coming back in the future he could headline next year like ken Shermock did this year basically i also wonder if with unfortunately Brody being out of the picture, could they have him lose and become the fallen angel? And this is just a swerve to that because that was that was a thought before they got Brody in was that maybe Christopher yep. Daniel would end up being the leader of this group if if we go back to the rumors. God, well, it's been a year already, almost what a year and a half, I guess, when that when Dark Order started. Because I mean that was the original feud was with Evil Uno. Um, the Super Smash Brothers tag team and like SCU and the fact that Christopher Daniels kept like getting fucked over by these guys and then kind of I mean the storyline fizzled but 
I mean, they could do something like that if the guy's not retiring. I mean, it could just be a way to break up that tag team so that you don't, you can push Scorpio. You can push Scorpio Sky the way he needs to be pushed, and uh, and Frankie Kazarian, Kazarian can do other things. So, same thing with Christopher Daniels. I like it, though. Yeah, I think it's uh, it sets up a lot of different things in the future, for sure. All right, well, uh, let's get into this uh, even more. But uh, the ending of the match, I'm sorry. The, the Bucks and SU defeated the acclaimed Hybrid 2. Really, really cool ending, Chris. Seeing, uh, you know, Nick get taken out when he's on the apron about to do the Metzler driver. And then, uh, you know, Christopher Daniels jumping on and doing his best moonsault ever into it. I thought that was a very, very unique way of winning. I also want to say, for, for the small amount of time I've seen him on here, really impressed with both guys from the acclaimed. One of them has really impressed me in the ring, more so, but that's because we haven't really heard him talk. And one of them I think is fine in the ring, but his talking and the rapping has been awesome. So both Anthony Bowen and Max Caster, big up on you. Um, what did you think about the match? I thought the match was good. I, I like the acclaim so far. I mean, they're not my be- like cup of tea necessarily, but uh, obviously, God, I can't think of the guy's name. Uh, that cut the, that that does the rap gimmick, the primary mouthpiece of that tag team. I can't. Why can't it's, his name is escaping me? But either way, uh, they're very interesting. It's cool to see these new tag teams uh, for an already stacked tag division. And like you said, the finish of this match was was awesome. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that done like that at all. All right. Um, so we have Moxley come out, and he cut an amazing promo. He said he wasn't going to get involved tonight because he was he believes in the integrity of the belt that he helped build. Uh, so he wasn't going to go fuck up Kenny and Don Callis. Uh, he said that Don Callis looked like a used car salesman. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, and he goes, Kenny, I'm in your blind spot. So just threatening him. This was kind of set up for stuff. But yeah, he didn't want to rob Ray Phoenix of an opportunity. So he wasn't going to cripple Kenny. I thought that was actually really good reasoning. What'd you think? I really like this. Uh, what What is he calling himself? The invisible hand, Don Callis. Yep. I, I think this is, there's so much that's interesting about this. And I guess we'll get into it more later. Um, but yeah, I, I like this segment. I thought it was was pretty fun, and I like this very heel Don Callis harkening back to his days in WWF as a manager, almost. The Jackal! Alright. So, we have Wardlow and Jack Hager. Chris, I gotta admit, like, we all knew that they were butting heads, and they're both in the inner circle, and that's the whole concept of going forward. Like, I think Wardlow is awesome. I think he has a lot of potential. I don't think Jack Hager... How do I phrase this? He's not bad, and he's definitely legit. He just kind of bores me in the ring. And I really hate saying that about someone. I don't want to be a fucking asshole, and this guy could rip my arms off. But I like this match. I can't believe that he was able to do that F-10 or whatever the hell, the airplane spin Mexico with the F-5, uh, to him. And this was a fun match, but I just can't get into 
Jake Hager as much. But uh, Wardlow defeated him. Pretty fucking good Haas match. Not as good, to me at least, as uh, Shingo and Jeff Cobb, but pretty damn good nonetheless. What'd you think? They weren't able to hide Wardlow's flaws in this match. His greenness? His greenness, because... Jake Hager, Jack Swagger, was never the best in the ring to begin with. I mean, he's an absolute monster, you know, NCAA champion and a legit UFC guy. But as far as, like, wrestling and storytelling goes, I mean, if you suffered through his title reign in WWE and watched him throughout his career there, he's never been a guy that just absolutely blows you away in the ring. Um, so this match was it was fine. I like that Wardlow got the win, and I like the aftermath with... MJF kind of endearing himself to another member of the inner circle. It's like he's getting these guys to trust him, which is going to back. <laughs> yeah. Hager was freaking the fuck out, throwing shit, and they sent MJF to calm him down, which ended up working, like you said, but still still a funny way to go about it. I did like that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 great character development within the inner circle because he's you know, he's gotten closer with Tito and Santana. Now he's getting closer with Hager, like the people that were not necessarily on his side. So the odd man out, once again, is going to be Sammy Guevara, right? And I don't like that aspect at all. <sighs> all right, uh, we have the weigh-in. A concept that they've used, what, once or twice before that I do like a lot. I actually think that wrestling should do this more often. It uh, just puts a level of credibility more so to it. Um, but we have Brian Cage with all of Team Taz and then Darby Allen, the TNT Championship. I like the new belt. It's basically the same belt as the old one, minus the red uh, border. And they have the uh, bottom of it in red uh, for the uh, the champion, like the wording, if you will. So looks pretty cool. They retired the other one and gave it to Brody Lee Jr. Um, so I thought that was another another awesome thing that they did. But... I can't believe I'm going to complain about this. Diminishing returns. I just... They've done this scenario fucking five times now since Sting came back. I think it's better to keep Sting as a novelty if you're going to not do any type of progression. Yes, there's been different situations. It's now a weigh-in. But what the fuck inevitably happens? Darby's comes out like a badass, but he's going against like five fucking people. Or someone jumps him, and it's a part of the Team Taz. Taz talking shit at some point, and then Sting comes out, Snow, and all the heels fucking run away from a man in his 60s and Darby Allen. When you have Brian Cage and Hobbs, who look like human He-Man action figures from the fucking 80s, and Ricky Starks, and Taz, and Taz's son, completely outnumbering, I just... I want to see more. Sting is my, is my my second favorite wrestler of all time. He really is. He'll always be that. That's my personal favorites. Him and Sean, two and one. Um, but I don't want to see him doing little to nothing. I mean, all he literally is doing, I understand he's limited. We have heard one promo with Tony that was a little bit too cheerful for me compared to this version that you seem to be bringing back. He's more like the Crow Sting. You know, in his later WCW after the Crow Sting, he obviously wore the face paint. But let's face it, that version and the one in TNA was the Crow Sting look with the Surfer Sting attitude. More of those promos. It's showtime. 
And we have that with him and Tony, but now they're kind of like, because Darby's, this is the first time Darby's talked in a very long time. I don't know. It might be a very long time. And I thought that what he said was great. He just basically got to the meat of it. He was like, I've dealt with people like you, Taz, all my life. He's like, let's fucking go. And he took on all of them like a badass. But we need to do something more. All I need to see, if you will, if you want to do something similar to this, have Sting start doing the whole baseball bat. Actually come to the ring, put a little ferocity, take out five people with a baseball bat because it's believable. Darby's clearing people with the skateboard. And you do it like that. But to me, and I don't know if you feel the same, Chris, it's the same fucking thing every single time. We need to get to some progression within the storyline. It's getting redundant. Yeah, I'm going to give them a pass this week, but if they do the same thing again next week, it, it it's time to pull the trigger on wherever they're going with this thing. Um, which, good for them, because the match is next week, right? But is that going to yep. be the... Like, is that the blow-off? Because <laughs> I would have to think that now that the Bullet Club's involved, they need a Darby Allen, who right now I would say is their top baby face, right? Him and Moxley? Him, Mox, and Cody, I would say, are top three, definitely. So, I mean, if you're building to someone having to take down this dastardly group... I Who better say, than Sting and Darby? Yeah, Sting, Darby, and Moxley. I mean, it's it's you know it's going to build to some sort of multi-man match, I would think. Um, but yeah, they they need to blow the feud off with Taz. It kind of sucks for his group, but they just that's the thing is they have too much going on in AEW right now. They need a second uh, show. They yeah, well, hopefully that happens soon, right? It's supposed to be starting this year. That's what they said. So, yeah, and I mean, I, God, you're right. They do need a second show, but that just means that we have to watch two more hours of wrestling a week, Dane. But at least it's better wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. We can cut out Raw together if you want. I feel bad for Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles, and Charlotte, like people I love. Asuka. God. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. It's, It's not their fault. Raw's just terrible <laughs> right now oh god um yeah i just uh, i find it I find it interesting with this whole scenario i do just want to see some type of evolution i love your concept of well if you have the bullet club the elite whatever you want to call it you know obviously they've always been a throwback no matter new japan over here club the bullet club itself has always been a throwback to the nwo and dx but mostly the nwo so you're doing an invasion stuff. You know, you just had your Hall and Ash come in from the other fucking company. So um, it would make sense that they need that counterbalance. And you could even use that with Sting directing and be like, I've dealt with you, blah, blah, blah. Moxley's more of like, I guess you're Austin DDP hybrid, if you will. Austin against Corporation DDP being there with Sting as one of the other guys in the company trying to take him out. It just makes sense to kind of get to that next spot. I don't need to see Sting come out and look at people with the baseball bat, not say a goddamn word, look at Darby. It was cool as shit. Now it just seems a lot of the same stuff. And I hate to bitch about it. I just want to see some progression in the storyline. That's all. Yeah, and I, you know, while I enjoyed the Sting promo, I don't think it was needed. Sting as the Crow character was not a great promo. Like, the whole build-up was him not talking. Yeah. <laughs> if we're being honest. I mean, Sting is a good promo. 
like, you know, I'm not saying anything about his promoing ability. I'm a huge sting mark. I'm just saying during the time period and the character they're trying to reflect on, much like you said, uh, wasn't much of a let's talk to people guy. I agree with you. All right. Uh, let's. Oh, sorry. Now, real quick, I was just going to say, I also love, love like all of Taz's group selling the snow. <laughs> Each week. Well, I wish one of them would bump for, for a snowflake. Ricky Stark's face when this snow starts hitting him is hilarious. And like Taz being like, oh, I'm so tired of this fucking snow. It's great. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So next match was a fun concept. We had uh, beforehand Snoop Dogg make an appearance with Private Party. You know, they were trying to make their little uh, their little cocktail. And they had the gin, but they didn't have the juice. So who shows up? Snoop Dogg with the coolest fucking doggy style, his his first album. Uh, and if you didn't know that and you claimed to like rap, I find it scary. One of the greatest fucking hip-hop albums of all time. And it's fun. It's not as uh, deep. It's just a fun fucking album. Anyways, uh, but it's on his goddamn hoodie. I need that hoodie so bad, Chris. I need that hoodie! Anyways, he came out with Cody. He was taking the place of Arn Anderson. They switched up. What they originally were going to do is having commentating this match, but they decided to do this. I don't know if they were worried about him throwing F-bombs on accident because he was great at the boxing match, but, I mean, they they obviously didn't have to worry about that. Um, I don't know what the reasoning was, but anyways, he came to the corner, and he had his little playbook, and it was just a fun match. Matt Seidel and Cody Rhodes have worked together a bunch of times and unfortunately no loss on on Seidel but I guess the only thing about the whole AEW dark thing is he's built up I think that was his second loss um second or third loss but he's got like 11 wins or something like that so you know I'd like them to do a little bit more with him uh but he puts on great matches with people and I think that was the whole point so Serpentico got knocked down on accident and um you know Luther was just not having it so after they attacked them, um, hit the ring and, and attacked Cody inside out. And it was, they fought them off. And then Snoop Dogg delivered a splash on the top rope to Serpentico. And, um, you know, I, I, people are giving crap to Snoop Dogg. He's not a fucking wrestler and his tall lanky ass should not be on top of those ropes. They took, even if Snoop wanted to do it, I, I, I hope they signed something because that was, that could have been a disaster, uh, you know, but he did a splash. It was, I'm going to call it, um, I'm going to call it, what should be the doggy splash, Snoop splash. There you go. Um, and it wasn't, it was terrible, but it was fun. Snoop had a great time. He ran over, you know, uh, said, Hey, to all the commentators and stuff like that. And it was a good celebrity to have on, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, we should see more with. I think it's now not going to happen because of the whole Brandy thing. But Snoop is good to just come out, have some fun. WWE's done it a million times, and then go back. I just wonder now that he, uh, you know, mixed uh, Cody's song, if uh, they're going to make Sasha change her song back to the original one. Watch that type of pettiness happen. Uh, what do you think about all this? I hope they make Sasha change her song back. It's fucking better than the one she currently has. No offense to Snoop, but that remix is fucking awful. Do you um, think they'll be that petty, though, regardless if you don't like it? I hope so. <laughs> no, I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, it's very... 
I mean, they just did this, like, wine release with Snoop Dogg and The Undertaker, like, right before all this happened. But, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to be that petty. They, You would have to think that Vince knows that there's this other TV show on TNT, and this is a way for them to promote that TV show. It's not Snoop trying to say one company is better than the other company or anything like that. Snoop doesn't give a shit. Shit. Uh, <laughs> That being said, I, I you know the Snoop splat, splash was a fun moment, but he almost killed Matt Seidel, and Matt Seidel almost like demolished his knee doing a meteora on that dumbass ring. Like he came down so awkward, um, it was scary. I thought I thought he might have, like torn his ACL or something the way he landed, um, but I think he did it on purpose because then he sold his leg. So <laughs> I don't know. It was it was a weird one. Uh, the backstage interview, the only thing that I, I the Matt Hardy stuff right now, I, I'm fine with. It's weird that Snoop didn't say, like, y'all are really going to give this guy 30%, being that he was. I know! <laughs> he just kind of stood there awkwardly. Uh, as, as far as the commentating thing happens, they had already promoted Jericho to be on guest commentary. And I guess the week prior was when Snoop was supposed to be on commentary, but they did the Brody Lee tribute show. So they didn't want to put Snoop on that show. So I don't know that that changed on the fly. I think more than anything else, Snoop uh, does commentary on the NHL video games, by the way, or did like in in 2020. Um, The only thing I didn't like about Snoop's appearance. And I thought the Cody Matt match was, was pretty damn good is why the hell is he play calling (laughs) into a, you know, (laughs) It's not like that, that Cody can hear him. He's like whispering into this. Wa- what did Jericho call it? A Waffle House menu? <laughs> <laughs> Four. Um, yeah. I will say Jericho stepped on a lot of commentary more than he normally does on this show. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that. Sometimes I was like... <laughs> I don't know if this is true or anything, because I heard through a bird during that whole entire JR stuff that Jericho is one of the people that made it a point to kind of not bitch out, but kind of uh, talk on behalf of JR before Tony kind of ran down a bunch of people. Um, but I don't know if Jericho, he, he seemed to be there if like a lot of times like JR would make a complaint, like, you know. And then Jericho would give reasoning for that, I guess, to back it up. I don't know if – was that just me, or did that seem, seem to keep on happening? Yeah, it seemed to keep on happening. Um, yeah, like I said, he wasn't great on commentary this show. And I normally like Jericho on commentary, but it was kind of like all over the place a bit. Um, it's it's incredible to me that Darby Allen is like the first guy that came out and defended Jim Ross. <laughs> really? Him and FTR? They were like – you should probably listen to this fucking guy. He knows what he's talking about. Yep. Um, and I completely agree with that. Uh, AEW Women's Championship match, Kurushita, Abaddon. I mean, I liked certain aspects about this match. I like certain stuff about Abaddon. She's creepy as hell. Her look is good. And some of the stuff like dragging Kurushita underneath the ring. Now, I hate using fake blood because there's no fucking... Where did, where, where's the cut? Where's the wound? There, it's nowhere, obviously. It's just splattered on the fucking side. But the concept itself was a good visual. You know, she got uh, Abaddon got cracked in the head by a fucking kendo stick right at the beginning before the bell rang. 
uh, and Kuroshita showed some fire. My only problem is I I know why they didn't put it on Abaddon because she's limited. She's green. She's newer. She needs to get better in the ring. She understands, I think, psychology of her character, per se, uh, but she needs to get better at overall psychology and just in the ring in general. And, you know, I just – Kuroshita is not – and it's no offense to her, you know. She actually, she's she's a good in-ring wrestler. She's just getting a bit stale for me. And I've said this for a long time. The NWA women's tag or the women's title picture just looks stronger than the AEW women's title picture, and it continues to keep on happening more and more. So I don't know. Yeah, AEW's women's title picture is the worst of all of the companies in America right now. If I'm just being completely honest, uh, this match was fine. I'm much like you. I'm just kind of bored of Hakura Shida. I do like that. She is no longer scared of Abaddon, but I mean, she beats her. She gets drugged under the ring and then doesn't Hakura Isn't Hakura Shida just fine afterwards? (laughs) Like, I don't know, man. I, I think maybe I'm done with zombie, mystical characters it's probably just because of the bray wyatt stuff but like Mm -hmm. i think it's time to not do these characters for a while yeah unfortunately i'm starting to agree with you on that oh well well let's get to our big match the the final match uh we had kenny omega going against ray phoenix for the AEW world championship um this match was fucking phenomenal they had I want to say this was about 20 minutes, but these guys, I mean, I, I, all right. So for being fast paced, almost Lucha esque, if you will, with the, they still told a great story and they were still able to make it look legit. And like they're beating the hell out of each other. Ray Phoenix. I'm sorry. Bar none. No one reminds me of Ray Mysterio more than Ray Phoenix period. And he's one of the most agile people up there. I've said there's certain people. Ricochet comes to mind. Kota Bushi comes to mind. The things they're able to do with their body, and especially him with the jumping off the fucking ropes and shit like that, absolutely incredible. I thought he killed Kenny uh, when he did the backflip from the second rope in the corner, jumped over Kenny and gave him a suplex using the momentum. Uh, The second time I watched it, though, was actually not – I mean, it was still – he hit his head a bit, but he was able to drop him more on the right. So Kenny actually rolled and mostly hit his his right shoulder – but it still looked devastating as shit. Poison Rana completely Ray let him spike his head. Uh, much like Coda on that. Like whenever they take moves, they just go straight the fuck up and go right on their head. It's 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 devastating. But uh, Kenny was getting frustrated. Ray was throwing everything at him. I mean, there was like a million Hurricane fucking Ranas. Uh, I love Ray Phoenix when he jumps to the outside. Uh, very much like Darby Allen. I swear to God, them and those two specifically and the Bucks should show classes to everyone else about how to do dives. I'm not saying I want you to do it to the extent that Darby and Phoenix are willing to do it, where they literally just go as fast as they can, million miles an hour, and just, I mean, Phoenix did a fucking sent on through the second rope, nailed Kenny, and almost did what he did on that triple uh, triple mania a couple years back, where he went and did, I forgot who he hit, I think it was Laredo Kid, but he accidentally went, Nailed him and then went over the fucking rail and hit the fucking uh, the president. I forgot what her name is of AAA and gave her a bloody nose. 
It was so gnarly and not meant to happen. He almost did it to the gun club. Like, he almost took all of them out. But he just goes so ferocious like Darby does and just nails them with it. And uh, I'm not saying it's the safest way, but it looks a hell of a lot more effective and real. Um, and he's just – he's incredible, man. Like, he lost, but this is this match for a television match was pretty fucking good. I put it up there as one of the best singles matches in AEW. And Kenny finally at the end, you know, he, he reversed that thing into the Tiger Driver. And then he went for a, uh, you know, um, a V-trigger. Uh, that didn't do it. And so he immediately picked him up. One wing angel. One, two, three. Great fucking match. We'll go into the aftermath after uh, you talk about the match itself, Chris. I I, uh, I will second everything you said about Ray Phoenix. He's absolutely incredible. And when he does do a dive, he fucking sends it for sure. <laughs> uh, some, maybe to his... Uh, maybe maybe not so good for his bump card, which I think Jericho brought up on commentary. But yeah, he did almost just end up landing in Billy Gunn's arms on that spot. I I, uh, I love the finish of this match because it was a very subtle use of Don Callis, just providing enough of a distraction so that Kenny could get the upper hand. Uh, so it ended up making Ray Phoenix not look that weak. Um, and I like that Kenny Omega, when he's hitting the one-winged angel, he's back it fast, as opposed to like the pomp and circumstance he was doing before, where it's like this really long ass setup to hit his finisher. Like he hits that tiger driver, and then you know he just immediately goes to it and picks him up really quick and drops him. And we were talking about protected finishers. No one in AEW is kicked out of that thing yet. Has anyone ever? God, didn't Okada kick out of it at one of their you Wrestle know, Kingdom? You might be right. But I mean, You'll to be fair, yeah, <laughs> I was like, to be fair, you know, Okada also let him kick out of the Rainmaker, so that's, you know, whatever. Yeah, but excellent match, and then the aftermath afterwards. So, Don Callis, uh, you know, gets on his mic, starts praising Kenny Omega, uh, tells him that we're not done, basically, and that we're going to destroy Ray Phoenix. Says, hey, Ray, you know how there was like a little mini promo earlier where Pac and I think it was actually right before this match where Pac and uh, Pentagon were basically backing up Ray Phoenix and saying that, you know, they'll be there if uh, anything goes awry. And, uh, well, guess what happened? They went to a video and Eddie Kingston and the Butcher and the Blade are just destroying Pentagon and uh, whatchamacallit, Pac. And, you know, laughing. They obviously have that rivalry. We're building to something with Pac and Kingston. And uh, Phoenix is by himself. So he's fucked. So, you know, Kane's destroying him. Um, just kicking the crap out of him. And John Moxley comes out with a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire and starts going to town. Don Callis gets the hell out of the ring real quickly. And, uh, yeah, he's getting the better of Kenny. And then who do we have? Bullet Club. The Good Brothers. Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. The Impact World Tag Team Champions that will be def- or going against Rick Swan and Motor City Machine Guns with Kenny tonight on Impact's pay-per-view, Hard to Kill. Uh, they make it through the audience, take out John Moxley. It's just them beating the shit out of them. Or out of him, I should say. Kenny had this one part where 
you know, you can tell with the baseball bats, and obviously the barbed wire is partially there uh, on that, that if it kind of hits a little bit too hard, you know, you're supposed to be able to take it down and drive it into them, but stop a bit um, before it actually connects, and then the person takes a bump while it's happening. Well, Kenny, the first one, and like I said, the barbed wire obviously rips rips skin and shit like that, but it kind of cushions the blow a bit. You know, it's like springish once it hits, uh, if it does make some connection. Kenny, the first hit, he fucking nails John Moxley with it. I was like, oh, that looked terrible. And the rest of them definitely looked more worked. But, um, you know, he's bleeding everywhere. He's fucked up. He's got a new shirt with a skull on the front of it. Huh, that's pretty cool. I kind of want that. It reminds me of something else for some reason. Um, and then we have people from the audience, which I was kind of like, who the fuck's going to help? No one's going to help them. You've got these guys from Impact. As soon as I thought that, Griff Garrison comes in there. Brian Pillman Jr. comes in there. You have uh, heels on one side. Like, everyone's trying to help out because these guys are the invaders. They're trying to take over. So all of them are getting laid out. Gallows puts some, some luchador through a fucking table outside. They look just supreme. And who comes out to make the save? The Young Bucks. But are they there to make the save? They're trying to, like, stop everything, you know, calm everyone down. And then, you know, uh, Griff Garrison and uh, Brian Pillman grab Kenny, and they have him in a hold uh, through the ropes. They're on the outside. They grab his shoulders, and they're holding him there. And uh, Carl Anderson takes the belt, nails Griff Garrison in the face, and a big super kick for Matt Jackson. And Matt and Nick look hesitant. Kenny puts up, you know, the two sweet. Gals and Anderson do it, and then the Bucks do it. And we go off the air with some of the biggest members of the Bullet Club, some of the most known of all time, reestablishing themselves going forward together as a unit. Bucks are heel. Kenny's got, you know, there's just so many dynamics. What's going to happen from this? The NWO of this era has landed in the WCW of this era. Really fucking cool shit. I marked out. What did you think, Chris? Yeah, I immediately thought of Bobby the Brain Heenan being like, yeah, but whose side is he on? <laughs> uh, I don't know if they brought that up on commentary or not, but that's where my mind immediately went. I mean, this is the, the NWA Hulk Hogan turning on his good friends. You know, it's it's that with the Young Bucks. I like this. I like the setup. And the, the thing I'll, you know, the biggest thing I'll take away from this is even after Moxley had been demolished by all these guys and been hit with this barbed wire bat, he still got up and laid in some shit just to get demolished again. Like that's the very Austin never say die Terry Funk type attitude that makes Moxley great. Yep. Um, so I liked that. They did just completely bury Sting's baseball bat though. If later in the show, you're going to have a fucking barbed wire one. If I'm being honest. And also Jericho has a bat. How many fucking people have bats on the show? <laughs> it's, it's batshit crazy. Now, yeah. all aside, that match was phenomenal pretty good episode of dynamite i would say there was things about it i didn't like but um for the most part you know the Seidel Rhodes match was really good and this match was like you said was was a great aw singles match probably one of the best television matches yeah and I, it just i like what, what what it's setting up basically i like that we're getting this unit that we are all familiar with, but now we get to see it actually. If it's not called the Bullet Club, it's still very much that same concept. I mean, it's they're doing a two suites and everything. I mean, there's really no way to get around that. So, um, 
But yeah, that's that's there now. We have John Moxley who's still in the title picture. You know that other people are going to position against Kenny and them because it's AEW now against. Uh, well, it looks like Impact, but I feel like Impact's going to get ransacked by this shit too because they have been. So is that that's actually a cool element now that I think about it. This is kind of NWO-esque, but it looks like they're going to be doing it to two wrestling companies. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's that that's the one thing that stands out about this is that you can have the team ups between these two companies. Um, you can also have like if you want to do multi-man matches within each company, there's a lot of ways they can go with this. Um, and all of them should be pretty cool. Hopefully they don't fuck it up. <laughs> it Hopefully is weird. They don't fuck it up. It is weird to not see Cody show up at all during this, his entire show being invaded. Yeah, they should have. I thought of that. They should have had a limo where he was, you know, leaving with Snoop Dogg to go do something. You know, they could have like made up whatever. Uh, so it gives a reasoning for him to have to get out of there to go take Snoop and go to something. You know what I'm saying? Like, they could have figured out something to get him out of the picture. But I did like the audience jumping in because I don't know how many fucking times, Chris, wrestling, babyface getting the shit knocked out of him. No one comes out to help him. But this, it was like, the heels are always on the left. Babyface are always on the right uh, from the standpoint of looking towards the ring with the stage and entrance behind it. And we're jumping to try to help out. And I thought that was that was actually pretty cool. But yeah, it was really weird that Cody wasn't there. Yeah, and I, I mean, the, the thing that pissed me more off about Cody not showing up at all during this segment, I like you said, it, it was like a, it's a two-minute thing they could have done where he's just not in the building anymore. But, I mean, this guy came out and ran down Taz for talking in the middle of the ring. You know, it should have been a much more pissed off about people invading his company and taking over his main event. Yeah, it's very true. But uh, regardless, thought it was awesome. So, yeah, I would say pretty good episode of Dynamite. Definitely the ending kind of saved it for me. Um, and we'll talk about on our next episode. So if you're listening to this, just look up for the next one. I'm sure it will be loaded beforehand. Um, we'll be going over NXT. We'll be going over SmackDown. And we will be uh, reviewing uh, the Hard to Kill pay-per-view that's filming tonight. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that, guys. But... Right now, me and Chris have to go. It's been three hours. We gave you guys a bunch of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's time. It's time to get out of here. But, uh, Chris, before we leave, say goodbye to all the lovely people and uh, let them know where they can find you. Yeah, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to talk to me, you can hit me on Twitter at, at Chris R. Patton or on Facebook at Christopher.R.Patton. Um, I'm also on Instagram and all your social media platforms. If you like hockey, Skates to Throats is back. Hockey season starts next Wednesday. We did a season preview and breakdown. And uh, this week, this weekend at some point, there should be another show coming out by Monday, I would think. Uh, there'll be a podcast talking about the games for next week, starting on Wednesday with a triple header. So if you like hockey, check that out. And uh, I think that's it. All right, and if you guys want to talk to me, um, Dane Alves uh, at Facebook, Dane Alves 42 over at Twitter. Hit me up, message me, let me know what you thought of the show. If you want to have a conversation about wrestling, definitely hit me up. We love interaction. 
Uh, it's a really good thing. And if you want to join Geek Vibes Nation, that is the main parent company from all these podcasts that you listen to, uh, go to geekvibesnation.com, geekvibesnation.com, um, and you will find all of our news articles from all of our wonderful writers. You'll find different ways of going to our social media accounts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you will find, uh, you know, just uh, different uh, listening options. Uh, or you can search Wrestling Geeks Alliance just on Google. Uh, Red Circle will be the first one that pops up. And uh, we're also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much any downloadable platform for audio podcasts. You'll be able to find us. Just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And we put these shows out, like I said, one to two a week on the weekends, reflecting on the last week. So if you're a new listener, definitely keep on checking us out in the future. We also had an episode uh, that we did right before uh, New Year's uh, where we did our our uh, reviews for wrestlers of the year. Uh, we had a bunch of different categories, tag team, you know, uh, pay-per-view or no, we didn't do pay-per-view, but match, you know, the best stuff of the year. So if you're interested in that, especially our past listeners, go back and check it out. You guys will love it. And uh, yeah, just have a great time wherever you are, whenever you're listening to us, have a lovely day, a lovely evening and let the with you peace out.